Yo, 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 what's up? Welcome in. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Coming to you multiple times per week at Skyline Sports. We'll always give you Bobby Houck and the Montana Grizzlies. Press conference from Monday. We'll also give you Brett Vegan from Montana State. His press conference from Monday. We'll also splice this things up. Original commentary for Brooks Nuanas and Ty Gregorak each week. We'll also feature guests like this week, Sean Rainey, SWX Montana Television, Alex Eshelman, also of SWX Montana TV. We'll also share interviews with the opposing coaches that both Montana and Montana State are taking on. This week, we'll hear from Aaron Best from Eastern Washington, as well as Ed McCaffrey from Northern Colorado. Also caught up with Ian Shoemaker, the offensive coordinator at Eastern Washington, to get some more perspective on Eric Berrier, Eastern's outstanding senior quarterback. Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Blackfoot Communications as well as Alpine Touch. Blackfoot, so awesome of them to make all of our podcasting dreams happen. They are the primary sponsors of the Nuanas Now podcast, archiving my daily ESPN radio show. Also, of our Grizz Greats podcast, 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Championship Grizzlies, and they're also the presenting sponsor of Catching Up with the Cats, a podcast series chronicling some of the best players from the last decade at Montana State, and of course, right here on the Big Sky Breakdown. This podcast is also presented by Alpine Touch. Alpine Touch is awesome any time of year, but particularly when it's tailgate season, because tailgate season is grilling season. The all-purpose, the pepper blend, the garlic pepper, all those are going to make your burgers, your steaks, your chicken, whatever you're cooking on the grill taste that much better. Alpine Touch is available at retail locations around the state of Montana and at alpinetouch.com. Get things started off with the main guy, Brooks Nuanez, co-founder and CEO of Skyline Sports. I always tell him he's the CEO, but he's my good buddy, my good friend, of course my brother. A business partner couldn't do what we do here at Skyline Sports without him. Here's Brooks Nuanez on the upcoming matchups. The Grizzlies at Eastern Washington, Montana State hosting Northern Colorado. Brooks's take on what he's seen out of the Grizz football team thus far heading into this premier matchup on Saturday night in Cheney, Washington. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, Fiber Deployments, and Community Events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com news. Hey, Big Sky Breakdown, Brooks Nuanez, Coulter Nuanez, Nuanez Brothers. Rapping about some Big Sky football. Big Sky Breakdown, as always, presented by Blackfoot Communications, as well as Alpine Touch. Alpine Touch, your go-to for any of your tailgating needs, whether you want some sunflower seeds to chew on while you're grilling, or you need some spices for the stuff on the grill, head on over to alpinetouch.com. They have full inventory for you. And uh, if you haven't tried it, you're going to want it. If you have tried it, you're going to want some more, I promise. You can also tune in, Nuanas Now, or swing by our college game day pre- and post-game shows in both Missoula and Bozeman to check it out. Yeah, we'll have Alpine Touch giveaways going all football season as well. Alpine Touch, Montana Special Spice. Brooks, let's think about this the other day. Montana trashed Central Washington in the spring. Then they went to Seattle and beat the Washington Huskies to open this fall season. And now, Saturday, they have a chance to play Eastern Washington. So let's start there. Uh, from a football perspective, but from a university perspective as well, the fact that Montana has a chance to go topple the third of the four major football programs in the state of Washington, as well as 
a spotlight on ESPN2 national TV. It's a pretty big moment for the Grizz football program as well as the university as a whole. Yeah, it certainly is, man. I, I would have to agree to the fullest extent. I'm not going to you know, speak for anybody within the Montana Grizz football program, but if you, if you put Washington State on the, on the schedule here in a couple weeks, I think they would be very happy to line it up. Um, Grizz are playing real well right now, and as you mentioned, the big showdown with Eastern Washington. You know, you saw I saw several different articles, but mostly from the Montana Kaiman this week, speaking about how enrollment is up at the University of Montana for the first time in 10 years, maybe even 12 years. I can't remember the exact. Uh, I think since I was in school, 20, 2009. Enrollment is up for the first time, and Montana is beating uh, regional powers in football. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence. Uh, we always talk about with several athletic directors and, and, and big set conference officials around the league talking about how sports are, in fact, the front porch to the university. No, they are not the guts. They are not the hot water heater or the furnace. They won't wash your clothes for you, but they sure give you a lot of exposure um, when it comes to recruiting potential students and as well as student athletes. So uh, it's a big deal regionally. Uh, and as you mentioned, the showdown between number four, Montana, and number six, Eastern Washington, is, is one for the ages as far as we haven't had something like this. Um, in the state of Montana for quite some time. Two regional powers that are in the top ten playing in a conference game. It, it, it's unique and, and certainly exciting. Last weekend in Missoula, homecoming weekend, you were in attendance. You shot the Grizz from the sidelines for the first time during this fall season. I know you got a couple glimpses of them in the spring, but this team, man, when they're operating at a high level defensively, Frightening is the first word that comes to mind. What were your impressions of the Grizz after watching them in their 39-7 win over Cal Poly? God, it just just smothering. I mean, it wasn't even fair, to be honest. I don't know. It might be like that all season until we get to the end. You know, I, I don't know. I think it's um, it's one of the better teams I've seen in a long time, if not the best, uh, defensively. You know, offensively, I think there's still some questions. I think there's still plenty of room to, to improve. Um, I thought, you know, the offensive line is, is, is a strength right now. Tim Humphrey stays upright, but um, delivering the football downfield was it was not necessarily, you know, plug and play for Cam Humphrey and the Montana Grizzlies on Saturday. Um, running the football was the same, you know, kind of a, a stable of young running backs that no one was really getting, you know, taking the top off the thing. Uh, but defensively and special teams-wise, it was kind of back to the, to the heyday of, uh, what we always call party on the pile. You know, it's, uh, there's 11 guys on the ball carrier at, at almost every single play, uh, special teams and defensively. And, and gosh, it's impressive, man. And, and they can roll guys uh, as far as the depth, especially on the defensive line. Um, you know, there's some young linebackers that can play and some secondary players, I think, especially at the corner position with a couple transfers that have come in who have played really well. You know, they play with a high level of confidence. Um, playing fast and physical, you can clearly see it's a well-prepared team. Um, a team that has Bo Baldwin, uh, you know, Cal Poly's head coach, former Eastern Washington head coach, mentioned it. Uh, it looks complicated for everyone, but it seems easy for them. I think that's kind of the pinnacle. You know, when you are a well-prepared, well-oiled machine. Um, I heard Robbie Howe talk about uh, earlier this week. Talk about how it's a mature team. You know, a team that understands that uh, kind of their place on the team, their role within the team, but also their place kind of in the history books of what it means to be a Grizz and, and, and what it means to run to the football, what it means to, uh, you know, party on the pile, as I mentioned. So it was really impressive. They are, a, they're a really, really staunch defense that's going to be a bear to deal with 
uh, game in, game out. You know, even if, even if they get banged up here or there, uh, which you hope doesn't happen. Uh, a lot of guys that can play. And, you know, overall, I think we'll probably get to it, but I've just been so impressed with Marcus Bell now. I think, you know, the, the middle linebacker from Helena, a kid that I always knew could play, but, I mean, he's just dominant. And you can go down the line, um, you know, you talk about the, the Jace Lewis is a, a, of the world, a guy that, you know, maybe the fifth best defensive player on his own team, you know, the preseason defensive player of the year in the league, uh, who might end up being that very well, you know, a dominant player. But there's guys that are standing out all over the field. It's pretty impressive. I mean, the numbers are just ridiculous. They're averaging like 14 tackles for loss per game. I mean, I was telling Eric Tabor, <laughs> Sports Information Director for Montana, I said, I'm going to figure out the record because it's not in the record books. There's sacks in a season for a team in the Big Sky record books, but there's not tackles for loss. This team, they could have 175, 200 tackles for loss this year. I mean, you're right. Jace Lewis is like in the middle of the roster in terms of production, yet he's averaging two tackles of loss per game right now. <laughs> It's crazy, man, and, and you can probably figure out by looking historically where the most sacks in the league have been, uh, then kind of looking at those exact same teams and looking at tackles for loss because they kind of coincide. It's oftentimes a similar statistic as far as teams that can get upfield during the passing downs can usually get upfield during running downs as well. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, you talk about Jay Lewis. At times, if you wanted to, you could, like, miss him because there's so many guys just smashing people. Uh, the ferocity is amazing. Um, it's it, it's definitely it's it's fun to watch. You know, I hope that they face some competition, which I think this week will definitely be so. But you know, I think that Eastern could hang some points on this team. But I also think that that might not happen. Totally, <laughs> the best offense in the country. I think the best offense in the country might score seventeen. And Maybe I, I if they're lucky. I see them scoring. Right, right. I think that you know it could go a bunch of different ways, but. I think that the, the, the odds would be in the favor of the Grizz, you know, stifling that offense. From a, a pure schematics point of view, and I love talking with you about this because you understand this element of football more than any person that contributes to either this podcast or Nuana's now. The concept of setting the edge, the concept of your responsibilities in, in run fits, the concept of spilling a play back toward your, your, your defensive teammates, all of that th- stuff. This defensive scheme is totally different than anything I've ever seen because they don't need to set the edge. They don't need to spill plays back to playmakers. They don't have to do anything that traditional and conventional defenses do. Bo Baldwin, who's one of the greatest offensive minds in college football, and certainly one of the great offensive minds in the history of the Big Sky Conference, his postgame press conference was so startling. I appreciated him for his candidness and um, for you know going into detail. But like he was saying, when a team's bringing seven, you draw up the tunnel screen, and you could draw it up on a napkin in a bar, and that should be a 75-yard touchdown. And against Montana, it's a 12-yard gain. I mean, they've given up one play of over 20 yards this whole year. That's astounding. It's, yeah, it's simply astounding. And he, what he did say is right, man. I mean, when you get a hat and a hat and it's, it's actually blocked okay, I mean, everything should then, you know, work into a, a, a substantial gain. I mean, you should be able to, to run, you know, power to the left and, and block it up pretty well and get seven yards. And, and they're blocking it up pretty well, and there's just some banshee, some guy that just flies out of nowhere, wins a one-on-one within one second, and is a free defensive player. I mean, it's, yeah, the ability to win one-on-ones, the ability to have the relentless effort is, uh, it's, it's really, it's impressive, no doubt. How much of it is just because the corners and the guys in the secondary can uh, shed blocks, tackle in space, you know, do the things that a lot of times offenses are taking advantage of? Yeah, I do think it's that. Um, 
but you know, it's. I think when you talk about the secondary, um, with the with, in a defense like this, I think most secondary players would say, well, it's not very hard to cover for two and a half seconds. You know, it's the the the, defense, the defensive backfield that struggle are, are defenses that are covering for four, five, six seconds. You know, letting the quarterback run around. Uh, you can't cover that long. You know, the the, the the play is broken at some point, and you know you can hold on to your man for dear life. But you know, in, in this level of football, Division One football. In the West, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of good receivers and quarterbacks that can make plays. You know, so I think the key of this defense is mostly, as you mentioned, Colbert, it's not, it's not necessarily about setting the edge. And while they do play so sound in their run fits, I think mostly it is the collective relentlessness of it's go time now. There is no playoff, so when you have eleven on eleven, you know, they kind of create this this overwhelming advantage just due to the persistence of when the ball is snapped, there is no wait and see. There is no read it. There is no stand up with my guy and, and check the backfield. It's pretty much just go. And that nature is just, it's pretty much impossible to deal with. So the secondary is important. Certainly. I think that they're playing at a very high level. You know, I think Nash, Nash Fouch has stepped in and played well. You know, Robbie Houck has played really darn well. Uh, a player that no matter what, you know, even if you've seen him a million times, will always continue to impress. Uh, if when he's staying healthy, just due to his his ability to run to the football at his size, his ability to put a hat on a hat, I mean, he's not scared of anything, that's for sure. Talks as much shit as anyone on, on, on any field I've ever been around, which I just absolutely love. Um, you know, he's always standing on his tippy toes, reaching up to some 6'6", dude. It's all of that secondary play is extremely important and it's going to be tested this week. No doubt. But Eric Berry is going to be able to throw the football down the field at some point of this game. Like, there is just no way, even if Eastern, as we mentioned, scores 17 points. If Eastern scores 24 points. If Eastern gets beat in this game. If Eastern wants to win this game. Any of those scenarios end up with Eric Berry making plays. It's just going to happen. And probably for the most, for the first time that this Chris team has really seen, especially what they did to Washington, um, you know, which was not the case. Eric Berry is going to get some plays downfield. He's going to get some one-on-ones. They're going to they're going to dial up some short play stuff where they're getting five, six yards every now and then. Um, but it all starts up front, man, and and that defensive front, especially the two guys inside who I know that you love, Governor, you know, Alex Governor, a guy that runs so darn well for his size. And Eli Alford's played really well. Um, and then you talk about the edge guys. I really do think that it has so much to do with that with that click switch go on the snap of the ball and that, and that commitment to the effort. There is no plays off. And is it sustainable? I mean, gosh, man, it's going to be really hard to sustain that level of play. Uh, but so far they've done it through three games. Big Sky Breakdown, presented in part by Blackfoot Communications. Thanks so much to Blackfoot for making all of our podcast dreams come true. A variety of podcast series all fall along. The Big Sky Breakdown here, of course, featuring analysis every week from Brooks Nuanas and Ty Gregorak, as well as a smattering of other guests each week. This week we'll also hear from Northern Colorado head coach Ed McCaffrey, Eastern Washington head coach Aaron Best. So stay tuned for that. Also go check out Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champions. We've been producing these and recording these for a while. It takes a while for Apple Podcasts and Spotify and everybody to confirm that it's a real, you know, non-dangerous or terrorist or whatever podcast. So we're approved now. And so we have two episodes up. John Edwards, the quarterback from that Grizz team, as well as Vince Huntsberger. Man, one of the smartest guys I've ever interviewed. He he knew everything. He knew play-by-play-by-play of games that happened 20 years ago. Astounding. No surprise, he's a doctor, the All-American safety from Libby. 
So you can go check those out. Also, continuing on with Catching Up with the Cats, where I'm interviewing guys that I've covered over my 11 seasons covering Montana State. So far, had the great pleasure of catching up with Mike Person, J.P. Flynn, Brad Daly, and then this week, one of my all-time favorites, Zach Minter. So go check out those podcasts as well. And then, of course, you can always find the Nuana is Now podcast, the archiving of my two-hour daily radio show on ESPN Missoula and then SWX Montana Television. You can find that on your podcast hosting platforms as well. And we couldn't do any of that without our good friends at Blackfoot Communications. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, fiber deployments, and community events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com slash news. Brooks, it's so crazy watching college football at, at, at all levels right now and then watching Montana, specifically because what you're talking about. I, this is not hyperbole. I seriously think the Grizz run to the ball harder than any team in the country at any level. I really do. And I think that's why they're number 30 in this week's Sagarian rankings. I mean, the computer does all the stats in terms of yards per play, points per quarter, all that stuff. The formula spit out that Montana's the 30th best team in the United States of America at all levels this week. And I don't know. I'm not ready to go quite there yet, but in terms of their defensive hustle, their defensive for they're second to none. And when you talk about the schematics, you're right. It, it's across the board with how much talent they have and the, the level that they play at in terms of how hard they do play. But to me, the absolute mechanism, the catalyst, the thing that's made this, the scheme go from confusing and unorthodox to perhaps unstoppable is the play of Patrick O'Connell. And we've been around Bobby Houck for a long time. Coach Houck, at his coach's show with Riley Corcoran last week, he said Patrick O'Connell's playing at the highest level of any defensive player they've had at Montana since Bobby Houck returned. That's high praise. <laughs> Dante Olson had a million tackles the last couple of years, won the Buck Buchanan Award. So for Coach Hawk to say that, definitively impressive. But O'Connell, it's not just his strength and his toughness and his aggressiveness. The way they move him around is unbelievable. You never know where he's at. It's like a game of peekaboo. You never know where 58's at. So you can't even plan where to block him from because he's coming at you from everywhere. <laughs> You're not going to block him either. It's, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's definitely next level stuff. You know, I think... Coach Huck doesn't say that kind of stuff, you know, ever. He's never said that in his life, I don't think. I'm surprised to hear that he actually said that. Um, you know, when you talk about the highest level, he says that probably, you know, in a, in a, in a pretty specific way, meaning that you could judge it based off of the efficiency and the numbers, the analytics, if you will. You know, a guy who wins 99% of the time and has the stats he does, you know, it just it, it speaks for itself. I think a lot of it, too, we talked about some of the personnel, a little bit, not too much scheme. But the impressive part about the scheme, well, you always say it's like an eight-year-old playing Madden. They blitz every single play. It's, I don't know why you wouldn't. I've always been an advocate for this. I would bring an extra player every single play. I would bring five players no matter what, six players half the time, and seven players another 30% of the time. I just don't know why you wouldn't at uh, – you know, you're talking about amateur athletics. You're talking about kids. You're talking about some left tackle that has a, the biggest engineering test of his life on Monday. I, I would go ahead and try to confuse that guy. You know, I think it's probably pretty simple as far as what you're going to get out of bringing extra pressure if you have the personnel, which clearly they do, and lots of you know, the best teams in the country do. Um, but, yeah, Patrick O'Connell is, is, is certainly the catalyst of when, that, when you have to have the, extra, the back 
a tight end and a running back can't leave him on the edge. He has to be double teamed. And when he's not, he just, I mean, he's winning 100% of the time, not 99% of the time. So you have to kind of chip him. You have to always be aware of him. If you have all these other great players that then get loose. So I agree with you. And he's definitely the catalyst. One of the most amazing parts of the scheme right now is how much effort there is. You talk about them running to the football, maybe the best in the country, which, I, you know, I would love to see who's, who's better. I haven't got to see maybe Georgia this year. Is Georgia running the football? You know, I, I don't I – don't, it's a big statement to say, and I, I just don't know how it couldn't be right um, with, with the production that, the, that they've had, that timeline of, of scoreless points and, you know, that, that running back for Cal Poly stuck in the end zone. I guess he might have actually been a passing play. Stuck in the end zone there to break that streak. But the scheme has been able to be simplified. You know, they have amazing blitz packages, but the coverage and kind of the concept of, of where your run fit is, where your help's going to be, all of that is, a, is, is more or less straightforward. They're all speaking the language fluently. Uh, that's how I think the reason they're able to play so fast. It's all due to preparation. I mean, some impressive coaches on that side of football. Um, but, yeah, Kent Bear has this thing, has this thing going. Well, let's talk briefly about this game. And by the way, in terms of uh, the coverage, which we always try to keep pretty even across the board, we'll have some features and stuff on Montana State, but Montana State hosts Northern Colorado this week. The most interesting thing about the game is Ed McCaffrey back in Northern Colorado. Tom Stuber will prepare a feature for us, SkylineSportsMT.com. I got some stories coming a little later on this week as well, including a, a profile on Lance McCutcheon, great senior receiver for the Bobcats. And we're also going to give the Cats a little bit with Ty Gregorak, but this game's on ESPN2. This is a national game. This is actually surprising, Brooks. I heard this stat the other day. It was the first time ever that you Eastern Washington and Montana are going to play when both teams are ranked in the top six in the country. And in fact, the stat even goes to top eight because all throughout the 90s and 2000s, it was Montana that was in the top five. And Eastern was a top 25 team, but rarely ever in that top eight, top 10 range. And in the last 10 years, it's been Eastern that's been a top five team and Montana that's been in the tens or the teens or whatever. Now, so this is a primetime matchup, but this this game, obviously everybody's going to gravitate toward a Grizzly defense that's given up exactly two touchdowns in three games, 14 points. The Grizz defense has allowed. Eastern has scored 54 points per game, including scoring 50-plus three weeks in a row. 63 against Central Washington, 62 against Western Illinois, and 50 last week against Southern Utah. But I think that the matchup on the other side is going to be the thing that decides this. It's going to be a special teams game for sure, because Bobby Houck is going to have some stuff up his sleeve. They're itching to run a bunch of kick and punt return stuff they haven't ran yet this year. I thought it was crazy that Montana, because they didn't have any points scored on them, Malik Flowers has gotten hardly any kick return opportunities. Then he gets one to start the second half last Last week, and he houses it. Great play design, great play call. But also, I think that Montana's offense has left something to be desired, but I also think they've kept a lot close to the vest. I don't think it's a coincidence that Gabe Solcer, Sammy Kim have not been big parts of the game plan three games in. I think they have a lot of stuff left to run. You can say whatever you want about Cam Humphrey, but he can throw the ball down the field. He has thrown the ball down the field for big touchdowns in league games before during his career. So I think that uh, this matchup is actually probably going to come down to not what the marquee billing is, which is Eastern's offense versus Montana's defense, but other elements of the game. But what's your take on Saturday night's affair in Cheney? Well, you know, I hope it's past my dad bedtime, you know, so <laughs> I'm going to be drinking coffee. I'm going to be staying up late. This is so Good funny. I ran into a couple like... of the men's basketball assistants at Montana the other day. Jay Flores, we were talking, he just had a second baby. So congratulations to Coach Flo. He's a great guy. I love uh, interacting with him and big supporter of all things Grizz, of course. But he was like, dude, he's like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, man. He's like, we haven't been sleeping very well. And by halftime, dad's got to go to bed. It's going to hurt, man. Yeah, it's uh, Coach Alk always says he doesn't like night games. I promise you, Coach Alk, anyone else who thinks that, I like him less. It's a guarantee. I like it, Wes. College football should be played at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Across the board. 
I, I don't even like it when it's at noon with the time change. Uh, I'm a one o'clock kind of guy. It's just what I do. Um, 8.30, G.D. Washington on the Inferno. Coach Elk's not going to put any red turf in his yard. Uh, that's, his, that's his quote on it. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, it doesn't really get much better, right, Coulter? It's, uh, it's kind of uh, what we all follow this stuff for. It's what we all hope for um, is, is to be able to play and, and watch and be a part of games like this. You know, it's, it's, so, it's so darn awesome to see a defense and an offense like you mentioned. Um, go head to head. I think it'll be an absolute showdown. I can see it going a million ways. Um, you know, I have a score in my head, and I think it'll probably land pretty darn close to it. But as you mentioned, uh, Grizz offense versus Eastern defense is going to be the key because the Grizz can hold Eastern to, as we mentioned, 17, 21, 20, who knows, as many points. But you got to score to win. You have to beat, you know, you have to outscore their team. That's how the game is played. Uh, Cam Humphrey, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in Cam Humphrey as far as his ability to to not only function at the quarterback position in the Big Set Conference and come on a national level, but also be a good a good player. I, you know, I think his ceiling is probably great. I don't know where he when he'll find that ceiling or if he will. Um, I do think he could be great. You know, I do think he could put up some serious numbers. I think he could win you games as far as whether you're talking about can he push the ball downfield uh, in the second half down? I think he can. Can he take control of an offense with up three minutes left, four minutes left in the game? I think he can. Could he run the two-minute drill to field goal range and get you a game-winning field goal? I think he can. So, you know, the things that kind of what I consider uh, checkpoints or, or you know, important factors for, for a quarterback's success, I think that Cam Humphrey has most of them. Uh, again, can he be great? Can he elevate you to a national championship? I, I think that's probably his ceiling. Um, and we'll see kind of – I think this is a big game to kind of prove that. Um, and Eastern on defense, you know, they've given up some points. So I, I think this is a ripe matchup for the Montana offense to, to get not only back on track. You know, Coach Hub talked a lot about how they weren't prepared. Not that they weren't prepared, but they didn't execute as cleanly as they wanted. I think they were playing prepared. They wanted to ex- execute – you know, better on offense against Cal Poly than they did. So many of the fa- other factors they gave, two defensive touchdowns, two special teams touchdowns. You know, outside of that, they only scored, uh, you know, one touchdown on offense. And I think that they'd like to get, quote-unquote, back on track after a blowout win, um, especially as you move past Eastern or, you know, this game is so important for the league standings, but you have a rest of a conference schedule to play. You want to get on track and make sure that you are – not only rolling, but playing at a very high execution level for the rest of the conference. I think that probably, we hope it starts in, in Cheney for the Grizz. Brooks Nuanez, best in the biz. Sky on SportsMT.com. You can find the Big Sky Breakdown there multiple times per week, each and every week throughout football season. Brooks will be holding down the fort in Bozeman for us this week with Northern Colorado coming to town and uh, several other people from the crew, myself, Andrew Houghton, Jason Bocci, Blake Hempstead, all heading over to Cheney. Tom Stuber also have coverage of the game in Bozeman as well, so uh, be sure to tune in for that. But SkylineSportsMT.com for all of your Montana, Montana State Big Sky Conference needs. Brooks, thanks for taking some time today, man, and uh, enjoy your weekend, and can't wait to catch up about this thing next week. Yeah, man, look at that. Look at all those names you just said. We got a little enterprise going, and we can't do any of it without you, Coulter, so how darn impressive all this content that you're pumping out. I hope our listeners are well aware of the level of effort this takes. Uh, this is a, a 12-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week kind of thing. Um, on Coulter's end, and uh, the coverage has just been impressive, man. So, congrats to you. Thanks for all the hard work. And uh, number four versus number six, let's go!
Let's go, baby. We'll get back with you next week. Thanks, dude. Alpine Touch is legendary around the state of Montana for providing delicious seasonings for every grilling occasion. Now, Alpine Touch offers so much more, from a savory new barbecue sauce to spicy pepper blends to tasty barbecue rubs. In addition to the classic, Alpine Touch has a variety of seasoning salts for whatever you need to spice up. Now that the holidays are over, Alpine Touch makes a perfect thank you gift to show your friends and relatives you love them. Alpine Touch, available at retail locations around Montana or online at alpinetouch.com. Alpine Touch. Montana's Special Spice. For unquestionably committed coverage of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics from a homegrown local source, you can count on Skyline Sports. The grassroots news-gathering organization is owned and operated by Coulter and Brooks Nuanas, a pair of Missoula natives and University of Montana graduates. For the best sports journalism in the state, you can choose to buy local when you choose to buy Skyline Sports. For $8 a month or $90 a year, you can get the best coverage available at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season. Big Sky Breakdown rolls on. Ty Gregorak joining us now. Long time assistant football coach in the Treasure State and across the Big Sky Conference. And now one of our favorite guys to analyze football with. Coach Ty, what's going on, my man? How you living? Living good, Coulter. How are you? Lots to break down, I would imagine. Indeed, there is a lot to break down. And uh, I want to start there rather than the, the results of last weekend. But first, I want to talk to you about the arc of a season specifically because it's a long season. Coaches always talk about that. Players always talk about that. You can only take the game that's at your uh, beck and call that specific week. But certain times, certain spaces in the season, they can give you momentum or lack thereof. And so also at the FCS level, sometimes the brilliance of the level is it's how you respond from your loss the rest of the way. So, what I mean, how impactful are the opening week of, of Big Sky Conference play, for example? Or, I mean, how, how do you sort of navigate the arc of a season? Yeah, in culture, it brings you back to something. Can I hit on this really quick? Something you and Sean Rainey were talking about last sure. week in terms of what do coaches do in in the off season? What do does a coaching staff and players do in a bye week? And and it kind of got me thinking, especially because last week was Cal Poly week. Now, Cal Poly week has changed a lot. Uh, compared to what it once was, but, you know, just working for Coach Hauk as long as I did, all three of our first opponents were always broken down uh, in, in the summer. So basically you're in, in, in June, we'll say, you're running high school camps and little kid camps and the team camp. And, I mean, the team camp, you're, you know, that's kind of an all-day's work. But some of those other camps – you've got half the day to be looking at your future opponents. And so something we did on Coach uh, Houck's staff is we always had the first three opponents broken down, maybe even four, or at least the first three, and then whatever those couple, you know, red letter, big, big, big games were uh, throughout the course of a season. And then if Cal Poly was on the schedule, we always had that game broken down as well. And even going back to, say, spring ball, we would take, not every day, but, you know, let's see, if you have 15 practices in spring, there was a couple few of those where you would have a Cal Poly period. So when, when you're going to go against something that's just so completely unorthodox, like a flex defense or a true triple option team, we would take time going back all the way into the spring and take 10, 15 minutes out of the day where you just card up you know, their top, top, you know, triple option plays or, you know, offense, here's what the flex looks like. And here's a couple few different looks you're going to get. So, you know, you guys were talking about it last week. Coach Houck, in my opinion, has absolutely 
already had this game broken down. Now, there's, there's different variables to this, too. Players change. Coaches change. Um, you don't always want to throw a game into your four or five game breakdown that just schematically doesn't look right. You as a coach might take a look at it just to say, okay, oh, there's another trick play or, oh, they've shown this before. But like schematically, you know, if it's a huge odd front and you're a four down front, you might not use a ton of that, that video, so to speak, in terms of your breakdown. So I'm not going to say for one second that, and, and it's apparent by, by the outcome of the score and what, what the Grizz did to Cal Poly last week, but yes, I think that they have already taken a peek at Eastern going all the way back to last spring. Um, they've, they've already got a good idea on how they want to attack them going into this game. And, you know, uh, you know Cal Poly, th- th- that, that's going to be a work in progress. You and I both know Coach Baldwin's a good, a good head coach, and there were some things uh, that, that, that weren't perfect for the Grizz. But, man, you just got to put that thing to rest now, and, and what a fantastic game coming up on ESPN too. There's so much there that I want to ask you about. I asked Coach Alk at the Big Sky kickoff about preparation, uh, having extra time for preparation, given the, the way that the pandemic impacted everything. And he said, and I don't know if he was pulling my chain or if he wanted other people to hear it or if he was being serious or all of the above, but he said, we have full breakdowns on every single team in the Big Sky Conference, as well sure. as full breakdowns of the top five teams in the United States of America already from uh, having so much time off. So maybe Montana's been preparing for just about everybody since they did have so much extra time to prepare well and and okay let's let's think about it in the global scape of everything right now too they had some time right coaches and players i mean last year was an unprecedented year so yeah when the spring season is being played and you're basically looking at it as spring ball slash oh by the way we're going to play central at portland state so a couple you know we'll call it 10 days to two weeks of preparation you know like really 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 preparing for those two outfits, but the rest of the time you're sitting there going, okay, how much Sam Houston film can I get? What did they do to win it last year? We know James Madison's going to be up there. We know North Dakota State's going to be up there. We know that South Dakota State's going to be there. And these guys, I mean, they've got so much access to film anymore. And I mean, there, there's, there's, there's a couple, you know, where you got to do, do each other a solid, like, Hey, I'm going to give you, you know, you call your buddy at, you call Petrino at, uh, uh, Missouri State or, or, or wherever, um, you know, the, 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 I think he's a nephew. I mean, all these guys got ties throughout the country, right? So you call up a buddy and say, hey, I know you're playing UC Davis in week three. We'll give you some film on them if you can give us some Jackrabbit film, vice versa. So, yeah, in the last year and a half, I mean, none of these guys got furloughed. They're all working. they got to do something. You might as well figure out exactly who's doing what in, in, on the top teams. And, yeah, in particular, the 11-12 in your conference. So it doesn't surprise – listen, you and I sometimes, especially with the media, Coach Hauk, you know, Coach Hauk's going to – he's very calculated as, as to what he's going to tell the media. Yep. But for him, to, for him to tell you that, I wouldn't be shocked if he had some sort of a game plan on every opponent on the calendar and – those couple few teams that we know have been exceptional and, and, and should be there at the end uh, of the 2021 season. 
We talk about putting stuff on film, too. One thing that we've been talking about this week leading up to this game between Montana and Eastern Washington and Cheney on Saturday night is the fact that Montana's offense has looked very vanilla just in terms of the diversity of their play calling. Part of that is the fact that their top three running backs are out right now. Part of that's the fact that their All-American wide receiver, Samari Torre, went to Nebraska. But also part of it is I do think they're keeping some stuff under their hat. And I also saw them run some plays last week that they don't really normally run to put it on film. So that gamesmanship, how common is that amongst coaching staffs to try to put stuff on film that other teams have to prepare for when you know a big matchup's looming. I mean, there's absolutely some of that gameship there, and you you would, you know, you would do some of that, especially if you were playing a, a Division two opponent or a team that you really felt like you were going to get after and could show some. But you're also not going to waste time. You're not going to waste time and energy on you know a, a fake punt or a trick play if you don't also feel like it's got a shot, you know? So yes, I think that there's that gamemanship for sure. Um, you know, I, th- I, I was listening to one of your shows. Does coach bear just send the house? Like he's been doing against, against a cat like Barry, you know, th- I, this is going to be such a fun chess match on, in so many areas this weekend uh, at both schools. And I know we'll talk about the other one too, but yeah, there's absolutely some of that. And I think they probably could have shown some stuff last week against Cal Poly. But, I mean, like, like I said, too, I mean, different, different uh, punt rushes and, you know, different stuff that, you know, if you're, if you're Coach Best and squad, you're turning on the film going, dang, uh, okay, I mean, we've got this to repair for. We've got this to repair for. We better know that on third and eight that this is probably coming or some version of it. So I think, I think those guys always are going to do a good job of, of the gamemanship aspect of it, but they also are trying stuff that they think is going to work in, in the 60 minutes that they got that day, too. Ty Gregor, actually joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown. You can find the Big Sky Breakdown multiple times per week. SkylineSportsMT.com, presented in part by Alpine Touch. Tailgating season, no better spice for your tailgating needs. Whether you're cooking burgers, steaks, brats, whatever, there's an Alpine Touch spice for you. The all-purpose is amazing. Pepper blend, garlic, pepper, all of it. Super good. Visit AlpineTouch.com or tune in to Nuana's Now, my daily radio show, either on 1029 ESPN Missoula or SWX Montana Television, or you can stream it at 1029ESPN.com listen to the podcast as well all those places are going to give you the opportunity to win some alpine touch as well we'll be giving away alpine touch all season long so go visit alpinetouch.com uh ty i want to ask you just broadly about the league in general before we get in more into this, the pre- premier matchup in the league this week that is montana at eastern eight league games but it seems as if a one or no start i mean as bobby Houck said in his postgame press conference he said we're one or no and we're in first place that's all you can do is win one and stay in first place and if you keep winning you'll be the league champion by the end of the year what, what's the biggest difference between one and oh and 0-1, like these teams that started out 0-1, how much urgency do they have to have coming into week two? Well, a lot of urgency, especially when you look at the upper half of the league right now, because yeah, Coach Houck, we're, we're, we're 1-0 and, and number one in the league, but you know who else are, that thinks they're number one in the league? That team in Cheney, that team in Davis, Montana State feels pretty good about it with a tough loss only at Wyoming. Uh, you know, so then we were talking about this last week. This league is dang good. And I mean, I, I can't not say it. Did NAU just do like the most NAU thing ever My last God. week? I'm sorry. But I got boys down there and I'm sorry to say it, but I mean, you talk like, that's what I, that's how I look at so many big sky schools though, unless they've kind of, you know, experienced success and then, and then, and then got to continued experienced success. And I think about Montana state back in 06 or 07, when they went to Boulder and beat my alma mater and then come home and then get their, get their butts whipped by Danny Woodhead's uh, 
Chadron State. You know, it's like you can't go to Arizona and get one of the greatest wins in program history and then follow that up with a loss to UNC a week later. But, you know, the fighting fantasies, they're, they're struggling to get a win. I'm rooting for them to get a win. Uh, that that game for Coach Hawk uh, in Weber, that was at Weber, right? That yeah. Was a huge win. That was a huge win, uh, you know, because Weber's a four-time defending champ, you know. So there's some great games uh, around the league this week. I mean, the one here in town in Bozeman, uh, I don't think the fighting McCaffrey's got a shot, you know, but you never – any given Saturday, right? But, I mean, Montana State looks strong. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a <laughs> – Yes. To answer your question, it sure helps to go one and no, no question. But that's a, a culture, and I know it's a little bit coach speak. Every outfit's trying to go one and no on the week. You know, it's a long season, but you know the teams we just talked about. Shoot, what a what a, what a great start! And uh, yeah, every, everybody wants to be one and no on a, on a Sunday morning of the week. You know, because it's hard. It's hard to get a win. Let's talk about the showdown in Cheney on Saturday night. First of all, I know Coach Alex pretty grumpy about a 8.30 p.m. kickoff. Um, yeah, I mean, this is amazing. Bobby, yeah, just, no, uh, well, he's not into the uh, the night games. No, no. He, listen, if you were a coach, Coulter, you wouldn't be into them either. You know who loves the night, you know who loves night games? Fans, that's, that's it, because media guys hate them, because cool. we, we we're going to be up until 3 in the morning doing all our stories and stuff. No, no question. As a coach and player, all you're going to be doing is sitting around and you're watching other people play and your coaches are trying to keep you in, involved with a walkthrough and some film and you're going to eat well. And, you know, but I mean, let's call a spade a spade. They're going to be sitting at the Northern quest or somewhere in downtown Spokane watching, you know, watching game day and breaking it up with football games and some downtime and then getting off their feet and staying hydrated, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I get it. Coach, Coach House, exactly right. Every game in the history of football should be played at noon or one. You know, maybe, maybe a little afternoon, a little latest afternoon game if you're going to get a primetime spot. But I'll say this. Wow. ESPN 2. And you know what? Shame on you, ESPN. I mean, why, why does it take why does it take this long to get a regular season Big Sky game, a, a matchup, of two top 10, top nine teams on ESPN. Some of the games that we are all forced to watch because we're football fans and we love watching ball. Like, why are we watching Miami, Ohio versus Bowling Green? Amen. Their own fans don't go to the game. I mean, they're, they're, their own fans aren't in the stadium, you know? So now I say that, and then, you know, one of them goes to the University of Minnesota and, and knocks them off in, in Minneapolis. But, um, why you know we we know that ESPN like 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 all all the great ones uh, they adapt every week right they pick they pick different games that they're going to show I mean game day shows up to you know where the hot game is why wouldn't they pick a top ten or top fifteen FCF matchup every week and put it on ESPN at least ESPN two because people will watch that if it's good ball and I, I bet they I, I bet they have great ratings in the state of Washington and Montana in this area for this game on Saturday night. So yeah, I'm fired up. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take Jackson, watch a bit of that game here in town. He's got a flag game that morning and then we're gonna go watch the Bobcats a little bit just because I want my boy, you know, being raised in a college town. He's gotta go watch some college football and then he and I'll both be sitting on the couch that night uh, rooting on the Grizzlies. So I'm I'm fired up. 
Let's talk about the schematics of this matchup. First of all, before we talk about Eastern versus Montana, I want to ask you just about what Montana's doing defensively because you yourself were defensive coordinator for more than 10 years in the Big Sky Conference. I know a lot of the stuff you were running, high pressure, uh, you like to bring the heat a lot, and uh, that sort of Mike Bresky was like that too. I know that's a guy you worked uh, that was uh, that he worked under a little bit as well. What they're doing right now at Montana is pretty insane, and it feels like to me when I look at it, it's just a, a couple factors that are completely different than what most squads you watch operate defensively do. I mean, they don't have to ever set the edge because everybody can set the edge. The, the conventional wisdom is if you run a screen against a, a, a when the defense sends the house, that's a touchdown, but it's not against Montana. So why? Why has Montana been able to take so many risks, bring so much pressure without having the risk of giving up huge plays? Yeah, I think it's kind of like what we were talking about last week. What are they in now? Third year or third? Yeah, I mean, I guess fourth year, year, third season. Yes, fourth year, third season of really understanding Coach Bear's scheme and where everyone fits and who the force player is and how you're supposed to leverage the football. So what you were just saying about the corner play is true. But if you're an inside linebacker and you know your first help is that boundary corner, you're, you know, you're, you're still on the ball and making the ball go to that guy because you know that guy will set the edge. He is the edge of the defense. And I just think they've done a great job in four years now with the outfit. I mean, none of the coaches, all the defensive coaches are the same. Uh, they're running the same system. All, you look at the players. I mean, I know there's been some plug-and-play guys, but a lot of them have been in the system now. And I think they just really have mastered where they all fit in the scheme and they play with, with such a man. I mean, it's, they're like ravenous Rottweilers. I mean, they, they, they run to the ball, they play fast. I mean, I can, we, you and I could go down the roster and, and, and go 40 times and go, uh-uh, no, not, he's not the fastest on the field. No, but they play fast. They're, you know, they, the old, their speed and football speed, they play with fantastic football speed and they they play fast and they're fun to watch they're opportunistic and they've just been suffocating when it in regards to how many points they're giving up it's been awesome and you know you know coach how feels good about it when he gave you that little uh, platitude last week about 100 x amount of minutes and i think that they finally you know it, it, it tapped out at 165 minutes but you know inside those walls, that, that's a pride thing. They're like, okay, boys, you know, now we start a new streak, you know, so going to be a challenge against a high-powered offense this weekend. But uh, they, they feel really strong and really good about what they're doing on defense, and everybody believes, everyone believes in it right now, even the, even the other 11 to 15 kids that are coming off the bench and, and playing fast. So it's, it's fun to watch. I did get to watch – I got to watch both of them on TV last week, and God dang, it looked like a stunningly gorgeous day in Missoula and homecoming, and it was fun. So, well, Coach Huck really does give platitudes. So when he does, you know he's he's being serious. And uh, he said on his coach's show last week that Patrick O'Connell is playing as well as any player he's had at Montana since his return. That's pretty high praise considering that Dante Olson won the Buck Buchanan Award in 2019. But you'd have to say that O'Connell is the front runner for the Buck right now. I mean, the guy's already got six sacks and ten tackles for loss in three games. Yeah. Well, he, he said it, so I don't have to. But, yeah. He's, and he's surrounded by dudes that, that, that are doing a heck of a job, too. But, yeah, that is high praise for, for a kid, especially who has, you know, he's kind of flown under the radar, especially with Jace and, and, and Robbie and, and, and some of these cats. Uh, all he's done is produce, and he's produced a lot. So he's been really fun to watch. 
Well, Bo Baldwin said last week, you should be able to just draw up a tunnel screen on a napkin, and when the other team sends seven or eight, that should be a touchdown. And it wasn't against Montana for Cal Poly last week. But now this week, Eastern Washington's throwing for 425 yards a game. Their scoring offense is just absurd. They're averaging almost 54 points per game. Eric Berrier's already thrown about a million touchdowns. I think he has 16 touchdowns through four games. So he's definitely the Walter Payton Award frontrunner. Uh, but it seems like that Eastern Washington with at least three, maybe four guys that are all league caliber receivers, that screen might be going to the house when it's Eastern Washington. So what do you think of Eastern, particularly their passing game against all of this pressure-heavy Montana defense? Well, it's, you know, that's going to go to the old chess match because, you know, will Coach Bear, you know, hold hold true and keep doing what he's doing? Or, you know, I, I, you know, I did a couple of root games, a few of them last year with Barrier. He, he's kind of an anomaly to me. He, he reminds me, and you can just tell me if I'm just stupid on this, but he kind of reminds me of a little bit of Denarius and Vernon in that, you know, you watch him on film and you're like, God, you know, I feel like I've seen better. But then you go play him and you're like, dang, okay, all the kid does is make plays. And for athletic kids, they, they, they move the pocket and use their legs, but keep their eyes downfield. You know what I mean? They don't, for athletic running quarterbacks, they don't really run. They can, but they use their legs, keeping their eyes downfield, and then, and then you know, being able to throw, throw the ball, ball while moving. He's an interesting kid. I mean, you can't, you can't dispute his numbers. You know, but the you know the the football guys in us. You know, if you want to get nitpick, nit, nitpicky on it, you know, you, you wonder, okay, how good you know how good is some of his uh, uh, mechanics and some some of these things. But then all he does is just go out and ball. You know, so the kid's a player. Uh, and yeah, like you're saying about the receiving core. I mean, they they've had good quarterback play and good wide receiver, really just good skill play for the last fifteen, almost twenty years. When you just go in, I know you do it almost every week in terms of going back to all the quarterbacks and all the skill and all the receivers and shoot. I mean, you just named, you just named a couple kids that, you know, let me talk about lineage, you know, the way Montana and Montana state and, you know, the younger brother and, you know, my uncle played there. I mean, you just named a Boston and you named, uh, uh, Scott, who's the other kid? Um, Tallulah Jones. Another, yeah, exactly. I mean, just you, you look at Eastern's ro- roster and, there's a lot of little brothers, uh, like le- legitimately, <laughs> literally, not, not metaphorically. There are younger brothers in the program that are waving the flag now, and it's it's pretty cool. I mean, Coach Best has done a good job. I love I love that they, you know, uh, rewarded a guy that had been in the program for a long time and has done a great job. And he'll always, you know, offensive line play is huge because he was an offensive lineman and. Uh, <sighs> Offensively, yeah, they've got it rolling. Where I think this thing's going to come down to, well, a couple things. The last head coach, Coulter, to go two Cheney and one for the Montana Grizzlies was who? Bobby Houck, I believe. Bobby Houck. That's 12 years ago. Yeah, I know. They're 61 and 10 since Michael Roos helped put the Inferno in in Cheney. They're 61 and 10, and Montana is 0 and 5. And I think that changes this week because I think that, that we're going to get a special teams play, just like you saw some opportunistic uh, special teams play. And that, that young punter is going to continue uh, winning the field, field position battle. And I think a special teams play. And I think that Montana's defense is just that much better than uh, Eastern's offense. 
if they go get their first win in whatever you just said, 12. Hey, they haven't lost a conference game in four years. I'm telling you, that changes Saturday night. You heard it here first. Ty Gregorak joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Coach Ty, awesome stuff, man. Love talking with you. And uh, we'll circle back around next week to recap it all. But in the meantime, enjoy yourself a Saturday there at Bobcat Stadium. And uh, I'm sure we'll be texting during the game on Saturday night on ESPN, too. Thanks for swinging by. Well, you enjoy yourself in uh, my neck of the wood. Where are you staying? You staying at Quest? You staying downtown Spokane? What Man, okay, so here's my thing. This was our conundrum. Is it the 8.30 kickoff? I was thinking if it was an afternoon game Saturday, we'd go over Friday night. We'd do some Quest. We'd do some, play some cards, you know, play some craps, and then go roll a sure. game. But now it's like, well, I don't want to go over Saturday and go to the casino because I'll be broke by the time the game rolls around. Then I'm not going to want to go to the casino after the game because it's be 1 o'clock in the morning. I got a bunch of work to do, and then I got to get back so I can work on Monday. So I don't know what we're doing. We're just staying a little Airbnb right there by Genie. So we'll see. Probably maybe not a lot of play this weekend. Very good. Well, I, we, you and I both know that the uh, Crimson and Silver will, will travel very well, uh, as they always do. The place will be rocking. I, I've never been uh, a big fan of going and playing there, but I, you know, they, they'll show out for ESPN2. Montana's fan base will show out. And I think, I think it will be one heck of a game fired up to watch it it's you know it's fun for uh, guys like you and me to be fans and get to you know we're, we're armchair quarterbacks uh, the week after just get to talk about it but i'm telling you it's going to be one heck of a showdown and uh, i love the Grizzlies' chances to go to cheney and get that first uh, first win in a long time you're the man talk to you soon thank you buddy time now for what's becoming one of your favorite segments because it's certainly one of my favorite segments it's the montana state minute with alex eshelman she's a reporter over in bozeman montana doing a great job covering sports across the southwestern region of montana alex thanks for taking some time again i know that you're super busy how are you i'm doing great how are you colter i mean it's just we're in the thick of fall sports right now no question. And that's one thing I've loved about getting back into radio is following all the high school stuff. I think that the high school sports across all the classifications are fascinating and super fun. I know you got one coming up tomorrow night, uh, Billing Senior and Bozeman. So have you thought much about that game? Because that should be a pretty good matchup, a couple of the better teams in the East. Definitely, definitely. It's been an interesting year, Coulter. It's, so I've been here for a little over a year and a half. And last season, as you know, with COVID and all that, we didn't have Montana State sports to cover in the fall. So I was so hyper-focused on high school sports. Unfortunately, I don't get to put my 100% in there this season. I, I, I do, but I have more things to juggle, as you know, you do too. Uh, but it definitely should be a good matchup. Fans in the stands, Van Winkle Stadium is always a fun time. And Bozeman definitely going through a little bit of a, a transitional state, I guess, right now is – they continue to sort through the fact that there's another high school in town, um, but it definitely should be a good matchup. And and we're we're approaching October already, Coulter. Totally wild that we're approaching October. You made your first trip out to the City of Roses, which, by the way, one of my favorite cities in the United States of America. Love me some Portland. Uh, but an interesting deal all the way around because Portland State is sort of this anomaly. They don't have a stadium on their campus because they don't really even have a campus. They play at Hillsborough Stadium right. out in the suburbs. It's not ideal, but there is a certain charm to it. And Montana State, they played a pretty good Vikings team, and it was a back-and-forth slugfest until in the fourth quarter. Montana State really just took hold. Isaiah Fonse carries the day in the run game offense and the defense shut Portland State down. But first and foremost, Alex, just your thoughts on your trip to Portland. What did you think of just all of the things that you saw on the West Coast? Yeah, Coulter. Well, the first thing is my dad actually grew up in Salem, Oregon. So my grandparents still live 
in Oregon and I grew up every summer and fall going back to Oregon um, to not only Salem, but we would do day trips to Portland and I couldn't agree with you more. It's a beautiful city in many ways and it was really really great to just be back there because of that um also it's always a fun time traveling with the montana state football team it's just the the whole experience of it from getting on the plane with the team to just seeing how they travel and it's really a business trip they take it really seriously um and it was fun especially because they got the win and we get back on the bus and the plane they have chick-fil-a and they're singing and they're happy (laughs) so that's always fun too because it's not fun getting on a football plane after a loss but also i thought hillsborough stadium so when we were kind of talking about the atmosphere obviously it's not really comparable to a Montana State or, of course, a Washington Grizzlies stadium experience. But I thought it was a pretty good atmosphere, not to mention Montana State Bobcat fans travel very well. Over half of the stadium was filled with Bobcat fans. At one point in the game, they were cheering so loud. They were saying, let's go, Bobcats, so loud that that they turned on the music because they're like, okay, we're done with this. Unbelievable. I love it. Well, Bobcat fans do travel awesome. Uh, people from Montana, period, at the college football level, definitely travel uh, in droves for sure. Alex Esterman joining us. She's a reporter for SWX Montana Television, working out of Bozeman, covering Montana State and doing a great job there at MSU. What were your impressions of the game? Because at first it looked like Montana State was stifled. It was sort of a stalemate. Bobcat offense looked sluggish. A Defense played okay, but Davis Alexander was kind of having his way. But then it sort of turned, and then Montana State really dominated the last 15 or 20 minutes of that game. So from the sidelines, what was the view like? What did you see? First of all, I have to give a round of applause to Davis Alexander. He's really good. I mean, he's just... He knows how to... He's just a a classic dual-threat quarterback, but he just does such a good job of not only passing it, but being able to to scramble out of the pocket and find a guy uh, downfield and just just really, really good at everything in regards to being uh, one of the more modern quarterbacks nowadays. Uh, but I would say in the first half, even though the defense wasn't um, – amazing by any means i i think that the key to this game really was our defense from start to finish and the fact that you know it was we they were only down by a point um you know going into halftime as as you know 10 to 9 score uh i i think that special teams defense did a great job all, all around and then in the second half I was pleased to see the pass game kind of pick up. And even Lance McCutcheon and Isaiah commented that when you open up the pass game a little bit more and and have that happen, it helps the run game. Both of those things need to be performing well to have their best production uh, in, in both those parts of the offense. So it was nice to see that happen. It'll be interesting to see how it, it goes against Northern Colorado culture. Absolutely. I think the one thing that has really emerged for Montana State is we knew the headlining type talent that the Bobcats had coming out of the Jeff Choate era because Jeff Choate is, I wouldn't say first and foremost, but perhaps the thing he is the most elite at besides just coaching the fundamentals of football is recruiting because he's such a charismatic and dynamic guy. He can sell his vision to anybody. I mean, hell, I wanted to play for Jeff Choate when he was the head coach of Montana State because he's so passionate. 
the talent of the the headlining guys like Troy Anderson and Amandre Williams and Chase Benson, Taylor Tuiasa, Sopo, right. Lewis Kidd. We knew those Isaiah Fonse. We knew those guys were going to be excellent. But the fact that Daniel Hardy has emerged as, as that caliber of player, and Ty Okada has emerged as that caliber of player, and the transfer safeties Jeffrey Manning and Trey Webb have emerged as that caliber of player, Montana State just has so much talent. And then you add the physical conditioning level, which I think is exceptional. Brent Vegan mentioned that both after the game in his post game as well as earlier this week as well. I think Sean Heron, the strength coach, has done a tremendous job. I think that's where you saw Montana State turn the corner. It wasn't necessarily a schematic adjustment or anything like that. I think the Bobcats, they just outwilled Portland State and they were just in better shape. And when you talk about this Northern Colorado game, I think that Montana State, they're going to have a whole bunch of firsts. I think that's going to keep them motivated because it's the first conference game, the first conference road trip. Now it's the first conference home game. They already had their first game period, which was sort of a homecoming for Brent Vegan. So I think that all of those firsts are going to help them avoid a letdown. But I also think Northern Colorado is a fascinating team because they have not had any sort of winning tradition or success since they joined the Big Sky Conference in 2006. That said, they have a dynamic coach that's getting a lot of attention in Ed McCaffrey, and they also have right. a five-star quarterback in Dylan McCaffrey, Ed's son. So I think that the number one thing Montana State has to avoid is not having a letdown. I know you were around some players this week. What's the vibe amongst the team right now, Alex? I think the vibe is great, Coulter. I really do. I think it really hasn't changed from the first game. I think you made a really good point about the fact that having a lot of first-time experiences with this program is going to give them more confidence as they go along. And I don't think that just goes for the players. I also think that goes for the coaching staff and for for, uh, Brent Vegan. When he came to us, to the media, after the Portland State win, he commented on that he said you know whether this was the first conference win the first road win for us as a program the fact that we were able to stick it out go into halftime defense wasn't blaming the offense for not being as productive as the defense was being in that first half they all just stuck together that speaks so much to this program and I think that this is a very selfless team and there and I don't want it, this to sound bad, but I don't. There's not a lot of hype around one individual player necessarily. They're so focused when they come into every single press conference at the beginning of the week. All they say every single time they say, you know what? We're just focused on us. We're focused on what we need to do as a team, how we can pr- improve every single week. And we believe that if we do the things that we need to Im- improve every week and do that, we're going to be-, be successful down the stretch within the season. So to answer your question there, yeah, that that was a long a long version of the question. I or an answer to your question. I apologize, but um, I, I think it'll. I think that will just continue to to follow through within the season. I, the, the hype's been very focused, very disciplined through these four games so far. And Coulter, it's funny. It's family weekend coming up, and I, I think it's ironic that we have three McCaffreys on Northern Colorado's team. We have a. It's going to be family weekend for them, too. It is every weekend. No question. And it's fascinating to me, too, that the primary motivation behind hiring Ed McCaffrey in Northern Colorado was to garner exposure, to make the program relevant, to, to have a star leading the way. And a lot of times a coach mm-hmm. in that situation would shy away from the fame, the spotlight, or making it about the family. But Ed, I interviewed him earlier this week, and that he, and we'll hear that here later on in this show. And he was, he's like, yeah, man, these are my kids. I love coaching my kids when I retired from football. That's all I wanted to do was coach my sons. And now it happens to be that my <laughs> sons are in college, and I have the opportunity to keep coaching them. So 
So that's just what I want to do. So it seems like he's a phenomenal dad, first and foremost. And uh, I think that love will definitely translate on the field eventually. I just don't know if it's this weekend uh, for Montana State against Northern Colorado. She's Alex Eshelman. She joins us once a week here on the Montana State Minute on Nuanas Now. And Alex, we could talk forever, but we're running out of time today. But best of luck with everything this weekend. <laughs> and uh, one last thing for you. Anything particularly you're working on leading up to this game or anything you're looking forward to? Where can people sort of consume your content or anything that you want to share with people uh, for all your great works there at SWX Montana? Oh, Coulter. Well, thank you so much. Again, it's always a privilege to be on your show. You, Anybody who would like to see what I post regarding, you know, not only my professional life, but also my my family, my friends, whatever, you can follow me at Alex Eshelman uh, on all social media platforms, my first and last name. But Coulter, like I said last week, it's kind of the same going into this week. We've got state uh, AA golf tournament here this, uh, this Thursday and Friday. We've got Billington senior in Bozeman football tomorrow. Great Falls in Belgrade. It's going to be senior night for the Panthers on Friday. And then we have another conference matchup, Montana State, Northern Colorado. And I'll be doing sideline for that game with the SWX crew, which I'm so thankful to be doing this season. It's been such a fun experience. So be sure to tune into our channels for uh, the game as well. You're the best. Thanks so much. We'll catch up with you next week. Awesome, Coulter. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, we've sort of adjusted the routine. This is more like a uh, Tuesday evening wind down now rather than a, a Wednesday afternoon showtime performance. But Nuana's now Sean Rainey, SWX Montana Sports Director. He's kind enough to keep giving us some of his time. And I love getting Sean's perspective on a wide variety of things because we see sports a lot the same. And uh, I think that we both have an understanding of what you guys want to hear about too. So, Rain Man, before we get to any of the stuff within the state of Montana. <laughs> First of all, I was teasing you on Monday that your Twitter on NFL Sundays is must watch, not only for the gambling advice, which is great and uh, applicable, and I would certainly suggest people to go check it out, but also the uh, occasional, if not uh, a lot of times, meltdowns. Pretty funny. You are the one person that convinced me of the notion that the curses of sports franchises is actually real. I don't think it's an actual curse, but I do think there's like these identities, these trends. It can't be a coincidence that the Vikings have cut more kickers in the season than I believe every team in the NFL combined over the last 20 years. It's not a coincidence the Vikings can't make field goals at the buzzer, even though it's been going on for 25 years. It's just like your Chargers have never been able to close out games. But... I never thought I was going to see Patrick Mahomes lose a game when it comes down to the final couple of possessions. The Chargers win. So you must have been thrilled on Sunday despite the uh, pre-win meltdown. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> people that are close to me really enjoy when my teams lose. Um, because you're passionate. Because, you know, and I get a little fired up. And sometimes, you know, we ride the wave of emotions. And it, that pours out on Twitter. Because I'm watching the game a lot of times. And I have, like, my family there. And to avoid me cursing in front of my little kids, I just vent on Twitter sometimes, you know. So that's how that goes. But, yeah. Hey, our, our, the Chargers are right there with your Vikings as far as kickers oh, go. Like, we. It's true. The, the Chargers cut, like, Young Way Koo. He goes on and makes a Pro Bowl with the Falcons. Yep. We cut Josh Lambeau. He's a great kicker now for the Jags. And we just continue to just roll through kickers because we just don't trust them. And then they miss one kick and they're gone. But, yeah. No, that was a good weekend for our, our squads, you know, hanging in there. Um, I don't think either of our teams really have uh, any defense to really show for anything. But the offenses are looking good. So that's kind of fun. Herbert is 
just so much fun to watch. I was, so I was talking about this, and you'll 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 uh, appreciate this. So as a Chargers fan, obviously I loved Philip Rivers. I loved his gamesmanship and how fiery he was. But to go from probably like the least aesthetically pleasing thrower of the football no question to justin herbert it's like amazing because like philip like it was just so ugly and herbert his ball is like the most beautiful thing ever this is why i can't believe that anybody was trying to knock him during the draft process an alien comes to earth and you describe football to him and you say draw the quarterback how does he play like that it's perfect like it's like teach tape he's beautiful to watch it's unbelievable yeah I mean his ball and like he's and he's so big and his like hands are big so like the ball just like looks small and he just like he just fires it man but smooth not clunky he has all of it I I just I still can't believe that he's not already even bigger star than he is right now he's a rising star for sure but like dude give me him all day over seriously everybody man I don't really think there's uh, Mahomes Maybe Lamar, but it's definitely a toss-up. Josh Allen and, and Justin Herbert are alone to me oh, as the top assets in the NFL. Oh, I take Herbert over Lamar any day of the week. There you go. I, mean, I don't think I, but that's just because I I rather have a quarterback that can shred a defense with his arm over with his legs. Um, yeah, uh, I mean he's we're, we have not really seen a, a quarterback do this um, this young like I mean he set a whole bunch of rookie records last year you're watching all the rookies in the NFL struggle this year and what he's been able to do so far in his first you know 16 to 18 games or whatever it is it's pretty impressive and to go in there into Kansas City I know that like Kansas City has some fluky turnovers things like that but I mean Herbert got the job done and, and he's going to be fun to watch for a long time I've always reminded people of this that Justin Herbert was an academic All-American. He's one of the top student athletes in the country. I believe he was even a finalist for, well, I can't remember what it's called now, the, the trophy that goes to the top student athlete in college football, right? Um, tease for later on this week. Sorry, this has been a little bit of a slow unveil. Uh, it turns out you have to have your podcasts. It takes a long time for a new podcast to get approved. I wanted to have a new channel for the Grizz Greats podcast, the new one, the 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champions. So I've recorded like five or six of these, but only now is just the first one, John Edwards, live. So they'll keep rolling out. But the next one, later this week, Vince Hunsberger, great safety uh, from Libby, Montana. But he was a pre-med guy at Montana. Now he's a doctor in Sandpoint. So interviewing him, just ridiculous, like the recollection and the cognition that guys with that sort of brain have. Justin Herbert's wired like that. His brother, Mitch, who played at Montana State, is wired like that. There's been guys for the Grizz that have been like that, too. Lauren Utterback comes to mind. He became a pharmacist. I think Danny Burton that's currently on the Grizz is, is going on that track as well. But... That's the other reason why, despite the physical talents of Justin Herbert, I knew he was going to be good because he's so smart. Like, he's going to be able to learn. This guy's studying pre-med. He knows how to study like a playbook. You know what I mean? It's a lot different than guys that are, you know, I'm going to not say schools, but going to places to study football, right? Yeah, I mean, so you, you take the smarts. You take the, you know, 6'6". Six, six, he can run better than people think. Way better. Yeah, and he's, you know, got a rocket arm, and they've got weapons. And and now they, now they have as a coach that actually, like, 
they want to lose. If they're going to lose, they want to lose with the ball in Herbert's hands. Like, they don't want to kick it. They don't want to punt. They're going to give him the opportunity. So, um, it's going to be very interesting to see, especially in that division. I mean, the, the Raiders are out to a great start. The Broncos are undefeated. Herbert looks great. And the Chargers are, are looking good. So, it's going to be fascinating to see how that AFC West plays out. Nuanas now, 102.9 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Coulter Nuanas coming to you with Sean Rainey. Recording this on a Tuesday night. You're listening to it on a Wednesday afternoon. Part of our All Football All the Time. We're talking all sorts of NFL and college football angles. All Football All the Time presented in part by Sportsbet Montana. Sportsbet Montana has kiosks in most of your favorite establishments. You can go bet either via the app or via the kiosk. They have all sorts of fun bets, keep you engaged in the games, try to win some parlays, maybe make some big money on a Sunday. Uh, Rain Man, I know you're super into the gambling. Is there any team that's been treating you bad or treating you good so far this year? My brother, after Sunday's results, he called me and he's so mad. He's like, I hate the Vikings because he already hated them anyways, but he's been using, the, he's been betting against the Vikings one way or the other all year. He's 0-3 with Vikings in his bets. Is there anybody like that for you or anybody good either? No, I like them. I, I I kind of used a, an alternate line with the Vikings on sports bet because you can't do like a teaser per se, but you can right. do the, the alternate line. So I moved the Vikings up to eight and then, you know, took like the, the bills down and kind of used that. Um, we kind of been riding the teasers, you know, quite a bit. Those are kind of fun. And then um, doing a lot of like kind of player props, basically just like. Yeah. Those are fun. And and I always, I say this about when you're, when you're betting. Um, I think it's important to like Stick with what you know. Yeah. I think a lot of people, like, they just want to bet every single game or whatever. And, like, oh, it's a primetime game, so I'm going to bet this one. But you might, like, have never watched those teams or don't have an understanding, especially, like, if you're getting into, like, prop bets or stuff. Um, so I think if you if you stick within, even, like, within your own conference, like, if your favorite, like, you're, you're a Vikings fan, so if you might know the NFC North a little bit better. Sure. So just kind of stay in that lane, you know? And, and sometimes, you know, trying to bet everything and win at everything rather than, like, being super specific. Like, because I, I know the Chargers really, really well. And I know, especially early on in the season, that, like, Coach Daly... They don't care about giving up yards on the ground. Like, they just don't want to give up the explosive play. And they will allow a running back to just do whatever they want. So every single week, I've just been betting on the opposing running back against the Chargers to go over his rushing yard prop. And it's three for three so far. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Because, But that's just something you only know if you, like, follow the team, you know, really well. So, like, just things like that. I would say just, you know, whatever you know and uh, feel, just stay in in your comfort level instead of trying to, like, bet on everything just to do it. Good advice. I got out over my skis last year trying to bet every game and putting together these six and eight team parlays. And it's just dumb. Like Sean said, just be steady and be disciplined. But it is fun. It's fun getting into it. And uh, particularly when you're watching games live at the places. Like I was at Katie O'Keefe's for a little while last night watching the Monday night game. And uh, it's just fun to go over there. And, you know, like I put five bucks on Dak Prescott over under like 310 yards passing. Okay, cool. Made five bucks. Super fun. So go check out Sportsbet Montana. Uh, you can download the app or look for the kiosks in most of your favorite establishments. 
All right, let's talk about the showdown. First and foremost, I think it's funny because uh, in both of our roles, we give a lot of coverage and a lot of commentary to uh, both the Division One football programs in the state of Montana, and it's been pretty good so far for both of them. I think that you know, even when Montana had the win over Washington, Montana State played pretty well against Wyoming. That hasn't been really anything. Even though the Grizz have been building, they have so much momentum. That has been this one thing that swung all the attention to one side of the rivalry or the other until this week. Grizz at Eastern Washington. Montana State's hosting Northern Colorado. It's it's all Grizz all the time in terms of what everybody's talking about, but also just the buzz of the state. I think that it's the least interesting game in the Big Sky is in Bozeman, and the most interesting game in the country is on ESPN2 in Cheney. So um, your, your, your early thoughts on a Tuesday on this matchup. Well, the reason why this one is is so fun is just because of the, you know, the contradicting styles. And you look at the numbers for Eastern's offense and the numbers for Montana's defense, and they're so staggering each direction. And so you just are curious on how is it going to go? Like, who's going to be able to kind of dictate the the tempo and, and, you know, be able to dominate whatever side that they're used to dominating on? And also, you know, when you're looking at Eastern Washington's schedule and who they they have played, not a whole lot of good teams, you know, on that schedule. And, and you go back to the spring, I mean, they didn't look like world beaters in the spring, um, Eastern. And so I, I think we might be propping them up a little bit too much. Based on, not me. Based on who they have played. And they're putting up these, these you know, crazy numbers and stuff. But, I mean you know against who you know so that's kind of an, an but but also like Montana and defensively I mean they haven't played really anybody either because totally. like, Washington's not known for their offense and totally. and their style of offense so Mon- Montana hasn't faced an offense like this they haven't faced um, this good of a quarterback they haven't faced this good of weapons they haven't faced this style of of offense yet and so there's just a lot of unknowns heading into it and I think that's what's always fun as you know for fans for us that cover is there's unknowns and then the whole phrase something's got to give right sure. it's always fun when you have matchups where it's something has got to give and that's what we have on Saturday and so it's going to be just super super fascinating to see how that all plays out and when when I uh, talked to Coach Halk um, for the taping of the Grizzly Sports Report, he was kind of fascinated by that too because there's so many times like you can go into a game and you're thinking it's going to be, you know, both teams in the 40s and it ends up being a, a low-scoring game or, or vice versa. You just don't really know exactly what kind of style and how the game is going to go. And sometimes it's just early on, something happens that kind of like dictates it. You know what I mean? And... Um, so, like, those first, the first few drives for either team, I think, are going to be very, very fascinating to see how it sets the table for the rest of the game. Monday's press conference, we caught up with Malik Flowers, Robbie Houck, and Bobby Houck. Interesting to hear Sean say what he just said, because that's almost identical to what Robbie Houck said at the press conference. Uh, it's a great challenge. They're going to put us in situations where we got to cover and where we got to tackle. And, uh, well, I just had this uh, realization that 
Eric Berrier is the best quarterback in the state of Washington, and that's crazy to think about in, in terms of college quarterbacks. And I'm actually shocked now that I think about that, that Washington didn't just go try to get him to grad transfer to UW because he's a sixth-year senior and the kid that UW's got a redshirt freshman and Jacob Sermon already transferred out of the UW program. So if you know, unless you thought Dylan Morris was going to leave, I don't know why you wouldn't go get Berrier because he's way better than Dylan Morris, right? I mean, from what we saw. Sure, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's an interesting thought. I don't know. Maybe he just like said that he was going to stay there and didn't really kind of open himself up to that. Sure. So, so it just never became a thing. But well, Maybe he knew this, the offense was going to hum along like this because his numbers are absurd. He's thrown for 424 yards a game. He's got 16 touchdowns, two picks, quarterback rating of 195, which by collegiate standards is nearly perfect. Uh, so he's outstanding. He's definitely the front runner for the Walter Payton Award right now. And crazy that probably Patrick O'Connell is the front runner for the Buck Buchanan Award right now. So we have within the game two of the best individual talents, individual performers so far uh, this year. Um, but let's analyze this subjectively for a second. Eastern Washington took on UNLV, which I think is a squad that is a middle-of-the-pack Big Sky team at best. I think that's how down they are. I don't really think that UNLV is going to manhandle UC Davis or Sac State or Weber State or Montana State. I think all those teams beat UNLV. They take a good effort, like an overtime effort or whatever, but I think that all those teams beat UNLV for sure uh, in the Big Sky Conference. I think that uh, Eastern played Western Illinois. They had 55 points in the first half, and they gave up 56 overall, and they only won that game by six points. That's one thing that gives me pause about Eastern just in general. Um, and that Western Illinois team, as we saw in Missoula, they're okay. They're pretty okay, but not it's not that great of a win. And then you have Eastern Washington uh, destroying a Central Washington team that we saw in the spring. Not very not very good. And uh, Southern Utah, one of, if not the worst team in the Big Sky Cowards. That said, though, Montana, okay, Washington's probably a middle-of-the-road Pac-12, maybe, maybe upper tier, but definitely not the Pac-12 favorite. Washington, by the way, did score 56 last week, so they do have some prowess on offense. Uh, and then you have that same Western Illinois team and a, a Cal Poly team that's probably bottom part of the league, too. So you could actually argue both of these teams haven't really been tested yet, right? I mean, of course, the number 20 team in the FBS is a test, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and, and test as in, like, stylistically haven't sure. been tested. Like like I said, Montana hasn't faced this kind of offense. So to me, it's it's all about which team is able to play like they want to. Yes. Who dictates the, the style of the exactly. game? Exactly. Like, is Eastern going to be up-tempo, throwing deep, big explosive plays left and right, or is Montana going to be able to keep blitzing, pin their ears back? I mean, their defense has, has kept every single offense that they've played. The offense has been on their heels and just trying to survive. And so... Do they get to like continue to blitz and be the aggressor and fly downhill, get a whole bunch of tackles for loss, and eliminate the big explosive plays and tackle really well in space? Or will Eastern be able to kind of get Montana out of its aggressiveness and make them not be able to blitz because Barrier is able to get the ball out of his hands, go down the field, you can't you know, go with the one-on-one matchups because you're, you're getting burned and beat on the outside. So you, you, you can't bring, you know, two, three, four guys on, on blitzes and stuff. So that to me is, is on that side of the ball going to be the most interesting thing. Um, just as far as, you know, can Eastern make Montana's defense not do what it wants to do? 
it's an interesting point. Another point that I think it has to be worth uh, making too, though, is that I thought last week, and this is about the other side of the ball, which I actually think is going to be the thing that is the matchup to watch because I think Eastern's defense is poor. I think they're not very good. And uh, I think Montana's offense should be much better than it has been. I think Montana's left a lot of things in the playbook. I think that the limited nature of their running game has really dumbed down their entire offense. Dumbed down is the wrong word, but pared down their entire offense. Because the running game is just sort of in flux, they can't run as much play action stuff. They haven't been going over the top very much. But I think that there's so many opportunities for them to get guys in advantageous matchups and just shred them. But we haven't seen Gabe Solser or Sammy Akim like isolated and just, hey, go beat that guy out of the slot and get a first out. We haven't seen that. But but we haven't really had to. So I'm wondering about that element of the game so much as well because I do think that you're right. If the Grizz are starting to get diced by screens and slants and barriers shredding them, they're going to have to adjust. Uh, but if not, they might be able to get home and they might be able to put a ton of pressure on Barrier. But I think it's the other side of the ball. If Montana can control the ball, that could be the best thing they could possibly do to slow down Eastern's offense. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key too. And it's not, I don't, you know, I don't think they have to like, you know, control the ball or like keep it away from Eastern's offense, like that kind of thing. I just think if their offense plays solid, yeah, they win this game. For sure. The offense just has to play solid. They have to not put their defense in bad positions, which has what a lot of the, the Grizz offenses when they've gone against Eastern as of late, not the one in, in Washington, but all the ones in in, uh, in Washington Grizzly Stadium, but the ones in Cheney. All of those games on the red turf, the offense would put the defense in bad spots, as in like Eastern would score and then the offense would go three and out. And then all of a sudden the defense is back out there again. And then the pressure is always on the defense to get stops while you're trying to catch up. Like the offense just has to, you know, be able to move the ball consistently, make and then make Eastern's offense just work for everything because I think the Grizz defense will be fine. Like oh, yeah. they're gonna make plays, Eastern's gonna make some plays. But as long as the Montana offense comes out and can execute on third down, and I, I think I, I think they need to be more aggressive on first down. Agreed. I, I think first down has been the the down of why Montana has struggled offensively. Sure, especially last week against Cal Poly. Um, and one thing that Cal worth noting, I was meaning to make this schematic uh, observation earlier this week on the show, but. If you, if you study Montana's offense and what they do, one of the biggest safety valves that they have for Cam Humphrey, because right now his role as, is as a ball distributor. That's what they want him to be, is just go through your reads, get to the open guy, just go where you need to go with the ball. But one of his biggest safety valves is the running back out of the backfield. Cal Poly was fully shadowing that. They were fully spying that last week. And that's why Cam kept double clutching, not being able to throw to the back. Then he's going back around, then all of a sudden the pressure's coming, uh, whatever. But but part of that, though, is when they do run pass plays on first down, he didn't have that option. But I totally agree with you. They need to be better on first down. And maybe maybe part of that is just the running backs continue to develop. Maybe they get one of these guys back. I mean, Xavier Harris did have an early carry last uh, week. And, I, I mean, how many carries did he end up with? Uh, I have the statistics right here in front of me. I mean, he, he had a few. He also, you know, coming back. He also had a couple big ones that came back um, from penalty. They had a couple holding calls on a couple. Nine total carries, seventy total rushes. So maybe that helps Montana a little bit too. Yeah, but I think they need to just um, they need to to pass the ball on first down because usually on first down it's when a defense is kind of in their their base defense and it's the most easy defense to read is on first down so i think putting cam in situations 
where on first down where he can he can throw the ball and get you know get comfortable get a rhythm against the the, the base or most vanilla defense he's going to see um, is is going to be advantageous especially on first down and just throwing it on normal passing downs and then you know you can run it on some you know predictable passing downs I just think Montana kind of just ran the ball a lot on first down it puts you in second and seven and then you pretty much know you're going to throw in that situation and then and then you if you have an incomplete pass and you're staring at third and long you know so I, I would like to see Montana take some shots on first down and try not to get the third down I mean I feel like this team has had a ton of third downs like they haven't been getting a ton of, of, of first downs on first and second down you know, and moving the chains before you even get to third down. And so um, not even just taking the deep shots like you said, but haven't been a ton of like even just like, you know, 20, 25 yard like out routes or deep like deep ins and things like that. Like working the middle of the field too, getting Cole Grossman involved um, as a you know pass catching tight end. Um, so I'm going to be like what you said, like. I think they might be holding some back on offense. Yes. That's like the optimistic view, right? Like you want to say that because... Well, but the thing is, okay, so here's the question though. So would you agree, first of all, rapid fire, would you agree their offensive line is much better? Yes. They're obviously dinged up at running back, but that hasn't been a premier position. I guess Marcus Knight was a huge deal. So I guess the question is, because with Cam Humphrey at the helm, we've seen this offense score a ton of points. Only a couple times, but like... Not against, not against, not against any great teams though. Well, sure, but like Portland State's okay. Yeah, they were okay when when Cam Humphrey threw for three thirty and, and four touchdowns. I guess we've Cam Humphrey can throw yeah. a deep ball to a streaking receiver, and so I guess if, if Montana really is like that downgraded offensively, is Marcus Knight and Samari Torrey just that good? I don't know. I feel like they have all these guys. They're not throwing. Like, they just, why don't you just line game Solzer up in the slot throwing the ball? I think I think a healthy Xavier Harris is a is a difference maker on the offense because he yes. he just has uh, an extra burst and um, some explosiveness at that position that nobody else has um, with with a Marcus Knight out. So I think a healthy Xavier Harris is definitely a difference maker. Um, but like I said, I think it's just being I think it's being more aggressive on first down and you know getting a little bit deeper into the the playbook and i think the, like i said the optimistic view is they're holding some of it back mm-hmm. the pessimistic view would just be like they just haven't been executing but we haven't seen a lot of like you know we ha- i would like to see more under center runs sure. instead of i just hate the inside zone over and over again yeah. and like how many times did, did cam keep it against cal poly for like two yards and he got and busted up snapped. one time yeah and like no, like that's not you're never going to get more than like three, four yards on that on that play, and I know like you're trying to keep it honest, and then that sets up play action and stuff. But um, I would like to see you know maybe a little bit more tight ends involved, play under center a little bit, especially against like an Eastern Washington. And if the offensive line is so much improved, like sometimes just play a little bit more power um, instead of like kind of some of the finesse. Um, shotgun handoffs and stuff, but um, we'll see. I, I, I would like you would hope that their offense gets a little bit more um, dynamic um, this week for sure. Nuan is now 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Sean Rainey of SWX Montana joining me here. We're doing this on a Tuesday night from the SWX Montana studio. 
I'm just going to leave you with this. I don't even want to like prompt it. I just want to say I don't think it's a coincidence that guys like Eric Barker and Joey Elwell and Malik Flowers and Keelan White have been getting all these targets and Sammy Akim and Gabe Solser and Cole Grossman have not. It's not a coincidence. There's no way they're not trying to get their premier weapons involved. If Cam Humphrey can throw a touchdown to Eric Barker, he can certainly throw a touchdown to Cole Grossman. If he can throw a touchdown to Malik Flowers, he can certainly find Sammy Akim. Well, I think, and Coach Houck also said this, like on the record, that during the non-conference, like they were going to play a lot of guys. For sure. And then that is going to pair it out. Yeah, that's going to you're going to start you know figuring out exactly who's going to get a lot of the snaps and stuff. Um, that's a great point. You know, and because a game like this, they're going to always want to play as many guys as they can because that's just the style of the program they run. But you're totally right. Like in a game like this, yeah, there might be no reps for some of the non-first four receivers, right? Yeah, because like I mean, we've seen. How many receivers get run? Like, I mean, all of them. Yeah, like, yeah. And so, like, I, where's Ryan Simpson been? He's the one guy that I expected he played, to. He, yeah, he played. He just hasn't gotten any much action, though. Yeah, they went. Uh, Chris Brown threw to him a couple times um, late in the game. Um, but like I said, yeah, I just don't. I think it's going to be more, you know, of of your your quote unquote starters. You know, I'd also like to. You know, I think we'll see Malik Flowers too at wide receiver a little bit. Sure. Also, like. This is something I just thought of. When is the last time you saw Montana run a screen? A running oh, man. screen. I, I don't even know. Jeremy Calhoun, like, like freshman love, year. Like, I love a good running back screen. I, I don't think I've seen them run one. For so long. Jordan Canada days? Yeah. So Pete Wen days? I mean, it's been a long time. Yeah. So, like, things like that, you know. Um, and those those are kind of the plays, too, that can get Cam going. I feel like he's a... Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's a rhythm quarterback or like a confidence quarterback, sure. but he needs to like, you know, to make a basketball reference, he needs to make a couple layups before yes. he then can hit some threes. That's a, that's one of the biggest parts about Montana's slow start offensively throughout the season, though. Too is these games have been so defensive, but Montana's also scored on special teams multiple times and defense multiple times. So that gives your the defense right back out on the field. You know what I mean? Like you get a pick six, defense right back out there. But, yeah. So like I mean, the play count on Saturday was ninety one for Cal Poly, sixty seven for Montana. That's half the reason. That, I mean, you need if you get twenty more plays, that means you get five more guys involved in the offense too, and Cam gets into a better rhythm. Well, and somebody said like, oh yeah, the offense only accounted for like 18 or 16 or whatever points it was against Cal Poly. I was like, well, if they don't return the kick and they don't get a pump block for a touchdown, the offense might have scored touchdowns on those two possessions. And then you're not saying that the offense only put up whatever or like didn't look good. Like, because that's just two less, you know, possessions that they didn't even have. But um, like you mentioned, I think special teams is going to be, you know, huge in this game. Especially it's going to be, you know, 830 so it's going to be a little bit chilly at night in Washington. So if if Eastern's not booting that ball deep into the end zone on kickoffs, you know, Montana's going to get chances. And then when is the last time they haven't played anybody where they've gotten a whole lot of kickoff opportunities because nobody's scoring on them? Totally. So if Eastern scores three, four, or five times, like that's four or five extra kickoff attempts that they get that they haven't been getting recently. So – that's going to be another thing that's like going to, could set them up for a really good field position as well. That's so funny. I didn't even think about that. Malik Flowers' first kick return of the game was the one he housed yeah. in the second half. They haven't been getting they they no point. kickoffs. Yeah, just either either the first one of the of the game or at halftime, and that's like the only kickoffs they've had. Unbelievable. Sean Rainey, SWX Montana Television. Best there is. Fun hanging out, man. Thanks so much for being with us here on Nuanas Now. Appreciate it. It's going to be a fun game. I hope everybody enjoys it, and... Hopefully I uh, can catch up on my sleep.
sometime after that game because that's going to be a late one. Time now for our Across the Sidelines segment presented by Mike Nugent and Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate, your local real estate experts throughout the state of Montana. And this week on Across the Sidelines, we're joined by Aaron Best. He's the head coach of the number six ranked Eastern Washington Eagles. Eastern hosts Montana Saturday night, Cheney, Washington on the Inferno. Of course, if you haven't heard, it's on ESPN too. So it's a big time game. And coach, I know it's always big time when Eastern plays Montana, but this one, a couple top six teams in the country, a couple teams that are rolling right along undefeated so uh, your initial thoughts on this matchup on Saturday your team must be pretty excited well we are culture and, and it just got dropped on me last night it might be a little bit of knowledge I don't know if it's factual or not but this is the highest uh, this is the, the the Montana Eastern game this is the highest both teams are ranked ever so I don't know if that's truth or not so I'm, I'm not spreading rumors that's just what I heard from from our guys last night and uh, which is kind of cool because you you don't have it just makes the the game that much more special. It's still a hundred yard field, still fifty three and a third wide, still touchdowns are six points, field goals are three, extra points are one. Uh, but it but it adds to to the seven thirty kick, uh, the national TV exposure for both schools, both teams, uh, both universities. It's just to, to me, it, it it couldn't come at a better time. It's just the start of fall. The weather's turning a little bit. First game in October. Uh, Coach Howe's back in the saddle for for now his third season. Um, it's awesome, and uh, it's it's awesome for 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 both universities. And uh, now we get a host. We went to. Missoula the last two times, 17 and 19. So um, we uh, we now get a host. So it's been a while since they've come to us, and so we're excited about the opportunity. University of Montana has never won at the Inferno. 0 and 5 on the red turf there in Cheney. Uh, so, coach, you guys have had exceptional home field advantage since the installation of the red turf and just in Cheney in general, but particularly at the last 10 or 11 years. Why? Well, I, I I do think it it has a lot to do with Bo Baldwin, um, who was who was obviously uh, my mentor as an assistant here uh, for nine years. I, I just think he instilled a, a pride factor in, in representing the home field uh, advantage, and then on top of that, um, it's uh, one of those pieces where it's 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 kind of kind of who we are, you know, to to call yourself a championship caliber team. You got to hold serve at home. You you got to run the table at home, and then you got to find ways to do things on the road uh, that you do at home. And so, um, we we we've kind of instilled that. Guys have taken pride in that for eleven years. We we've had a pretty good winning percentage on the red turf, and uh, we, we we continue to strive each and every week when we're you know representing our home fans and been on that red turf. Uh, it's just it just means a little bit more uh, because you're at home on a surface that uh, no one no one in the country gets to play on except for us, uh, you know, five to six times a year. And so those we try to make them as special as we can. The pregame spin is going to gravitate toward the most obvious, which is an offense of Eastern Washington that's scoring 50-plus points per game, a defense of Montana that's only allowed – two touchdowns to opposing offenses and nothing else uh, in between. So, Coach, let's start there because I know that there's way more to this matchup than just that, but that's the one that's going to get all the headlines. You guys have been so prolific on offense. What do you think of the matchup between your high-scoring offense and Montana's defense? So, so I was going to try to sneak out of this question because I think I think when you say offense versus defense, I think the third factor is special teams. Um it, it, it's fun to know. 
uh, it's awesome as, as a coach, as a player, to know that as well as Montana's playing on defense, as much chaos as they bring to the table with all their moves and, and, and pressure packages and stunts and coverages and football IQ against our offense that's been you know pretty thorough for the first four games um, and not clicked on all cylinders the entire four games, but a better part of. Um, at the end of the day, the name of the game is score more points. Um, you hold people to minimal points, you got a better chance to win. You score a lot of points, you got a better chance to win. And um, it, it'll kind of be the battle of the Titans. Uh, but again, the, I tell the guys all the time, Coulter, most of sports folks that are not in building play the game on paper. The game's not played on paper. You can read all the stats you want, throw the stats out when you get the kick, because at that point, stats don't matter. Uh, there's a lot of momentum swings in the game. There's a lot of single plays made by individuals. Or there, there's guys that go out with injury. There's certain calls that are made. I mean, you, you got there, there's so much more to the story than the stats. Stats lead up to it's almost like preseason polls. Stat, you know, preseason polls lead up to the season. And once the season starts, no one talks about the preseason polls anymore because no matter what you do. So stats are great up until 7:30 on Saturday. But at that point, it's about making plays, take care of the football, and uh, field position is going to probably be the name of the game in this in this game. You know, you know whether it's it's working yourself off out on offense from coming out standpoint to keeping them tucked on defense. Uh, the punters are going to play, and the kicking game will play a factor, if not the factor, in this game. I would imagine at some point, uh, whether it be early, middle, or late in the game. Across the sidelines, presented by Mike Nugent and Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate, Aaron Best, Eastern Washington head coach, joining us here on Nuanas Now on ESPN Radio, as well as SWX Montana Television. And coach, the special teams element is a key one. I thought Montana last week against Cal Poly uh, maybe left something to be desired with their offense on the field. Their defense played well, they scored defensively, but it was the special teams that really won the day Saturday in Missoula. And Bobby Houck, a long time, uh, renowned for a long time for his special teams acumen. So uh, how do you think your your special teams matches up? Because I know you guys put a high priority on that element of the game as well. How important will that be on Saturday? Well, you know, the usual adage is it's it's a third of the game, but it's less than a third of the plays of the game. So it's actually more than a third of the game uh, when you talk about just the the hidden yardage in special teams. And uh, I'm sure Coach Hawk wasn't wasn't all that thrilled with the fake punt that uh, uh, they got uh, called on on him, and then they came back and responded with a block punt for a touchdown on the the next punt, I think, in the game or or the few punts after, um, which. uh, kind of negated um, kind of the momentum that Cal Poly had kind of put on. But last week was last week. I mean, it's no different than the Western Illinois going to the Southern Utah game. What what we did in the second half isn't necessarily going to dictate what we do in the next first half in the next week. There's a lot of different variables that take place. And I think in any game, special teams is always a key component to any game, um, especially when you have – uh, you know, a good offense versus a great defense uh, in a game. The 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 tipping point may be the special teams, and so uh, wind may play a factor. Um, you know, night being on the lights may be a factor. Um, I don't know. Maybe uh, mindset may be a factor. Kickers, snappers, fingers get cold. I was a long snapper. I mean, you got to feel good to play good these days, right? That, that's what I've been told. You got to look good and feel good to be able to play good. So, hopefully, our guys are doing that. But uh, Coach Houck has, has done a tremendous job. He's always caused team fits. 
uh, in all four areas of uh, punt, punt return, a kickoff, kick return. Uh, but it may come down to a field goal at the end of this game uh, on either side of, of the ball. So uh, it's uh, it's fun. That's what you live for. That's why you play this game to, to be able to take part in these moments. Let's talk about your personnel, particularly on offense. Eric Berrier having a spectacular senior season for Eastern Washington. His numbers are just through the roof. He's got a quarterback rating of over 190. He's thrown for 425 yards a game. He had six touchdown passes in the first half of a game. I mean, it's just ridiculous, the stuff that he's doing, but expected on your end, I'm sure, because he's a special, special player. He is, and, and, and as much as, as, you know, even in 18 when he took the, the, the reins from Gage uh, into 19 and then in the spring of 21, um, he's gotten better every single season. And that's hard to do when you're playing at the clip he's been playing at. Um, he's minimized his turnover ratio um, since he since he took over. Uh, he's, he's led the offense. He's a two-time team captain, uh, voted on by his teammates. He's done a lot of things outside of just statistics uh, that have led, led him to this point as well. Um, he, he's, he's obviously a guy we count on. Uh, our offense goes through him. He trusts his receivers. Uh, there's slow receivers that, that can come down and make plays. Uh, before you remember one guy's name, all of a sudden another guy steps up that no one knew his name. Uh, but we've watched all these guys, much like every college football team, Coulter. You watch these guys every day in practice. The world may not be exposed to these guys now, but a guy like Afton Chisholm that played a little bit in the spring and had a, had a decent spring his first year has really stepped up to compliment to Lolo and Freddie and Andrew Boston and Johnny Edwards. And, and uh, so, so again, when, when you when you breed competitiveness, then the young guys take over uh, as the, the old guys are setting the example. And uh, to be able to stretch a field from, from sideline to sideline uh, with four, five, six, and seven receivers, uh, that helps a guy like Eric Berrier out, out. He's not a big runner. He doesn't run the ball much. Uh, but when he does run the ball, he's effective in doing so. He's keeping his eyes downfield. He's avoiding the rush. Um, and uh, we, we've got a we've got our we've got our work cut out for us to protect Eric Berrier. But he's he's done some phenomenal things, and much like a few other guys here over the last twenty years, um, a lot of people are, are are mesmerized by what is done during those sixty minutes. And even though it happens week in and week out, uh, that's something very special. Uh, and we take nothing for granted as far as some of the plays that Eric Berrier has made. Uh, but uh, inevitably, he trusts his receivers. Uh, he's got some running backs that can complement the, the, the passing game to uh, keep guys hopefully off balance throughout the course of the game. And Coach Shue has done a great job um, calling the game in the flow of the game. The, the, the first four games this fall have been phenomenal. And Eric's in a pretty good group right now. Aaron Best joining us, Eastern Washington head coach. His team hosts Montana Saturday night, 8.30 p.m. kickoff, Mountain Standard Time, 7.30 their local time, and they'll be on ESPN, too, so you'll be able to find it pretty darn easily. And, Coach, one last question about your offense. I know that the players, justifiably so, get a lot of the attention, but I want to ask you a little bit about your staff because I know Ian Shoemaker is doing a great job there, like you just mentioned, as the offensive coordinator, but a lot of guys that are pretty young, talented coaches from Jace Buderak to Pat McCann all the way down to Aaron Pierre. Uh, so what do you think of those guys, the work that they've done so far? How much do they contribute to just how prolific you guys have been on offense? Well, you, you know, what we've done is what we've done. Even when you talk about kind of the crossover in coaching, Coach Rosenbaugh was a guy that I GA'd for here at Easter way back when. So even some of the same 
conceptual things that we were doing back in the early 2000s. Uh, we, we've tweaked them, and, but not necessarily changed them. We've, we've implemented over the last 20 years what a lot of the coaches have had, had their fingerprints on while they're here, whether it be Coach Taylor, Coach Baldwin, um, Coach Telford way back in the day, Coach Rosenbaugh, uh, Coach Sturdy, who was here in 2007 when I wasn't here. So we've, we've kind of gathered everything from everybody and kind of fit our needs as far as our personnel uh, and, and kind of the, the the flavor of the year, if you will. Uh, but Coach Shoemaker's doing a great job. Coach Pat is a tremendous coach uh, that we were able to get a couple of years ago, bring him back out you know, to the state of Washington. Uh, we've had a, a few, and it's always happens in this profession, where guys end up having opportunities elsewhere. Um, and so we've had to kind of plug and play a few holes. Mark Anderson, who's a director of football ops is now our tight ends coach and uh, chief of staff. And so he's in a role of tight ends, which he took over in the spring and is now doing that again this fall. Coach Budarak, you mentioned, who's the offensive line coach for a player here, uh, Aaron Pryor from Idaho State. Um, his coach position he once played, and he was a receivers coach at Idaho State. And uh, it, It's just it, – it's. It, it, and then there's Coach Shu that is uh, is calling it all, and so uh, we have a pretty good vibe. Uh, we, we we were able to do this in spring, but not everybody was in tow in spring. We had Coach Fire join us after spring, and so I think people want to join um, when they have the opportunity uh, as far as what we do offensively, because we are so explosive, we're so dynamic, and and we don't just we 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 scratch what we did the week before, and Monday's a new day to game prep for the next week, and so uh, we we try not to stay stale. Um, it's a credit to our players to be able to be as flexible as they are with the stuff that we do. We ask those players to do a lot, um, and they they have passed the test thus far through four games. So we'll continue to push the envelope, And uh, but uh, a lot of credit goes to, to the coaches as well uh, to be able to make this thing work and to have the success, the sustained success we've had. Aaron Best joining us. It's Across the Sideline, presented by Mike Nugent, Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate, interviewing coaches that are taking on either Montana or Montana State. You're listening to ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television. And, Coach, when you look at Montana's defense, the, the number one word I can think of is chaos, but they seem to run more fronts than maybe anybody I've seen. Uh, they bring pressure from all over the place, but the fact that they bring so much pressure, they still don't give up very many big plays. So how would you describe what the Grizz are doing defensively and why are they able to mitigate big plays even and when they do send the house pretty much all the time. Well, you're right. And and the one thing about Montana that is that is that is different than most teams that we face is they stay in the same pretty much the same personnel no matter what personnel you're in offensively. So they're able to communicate calls through the same eleven guys and they're not subbing based on the offensive seven. Um, so they play three safety rotation, obviously with a boundary middle and, and, and field safety. Uh, they create chaos, like you said. They, they, they try to get your eyes to do weird things. Uh, they, they trust your fundamentals and pass protection, especially. Their tackles behind the line of scrimmage put you in second and longs or really longs. They're a productive, productive bunch on first down, which puts you puts your, your playbook at a, at a little bit of a less of a clip when you're second and 12 or second and 13, you know, every other second second down uh, their corners and safeties are cover guys expect they're going to sit on routes because they expect the pressure to land and so I think that does minimize big plays because if you don't have time to create the big plays you can't run downfield 40 yards if, or get the ball off for 40 yards if all of a sudden you're 2.2 seconds to the quarterback and the quarterback's leaving the pocket now his eyes are not downfield and he's tucking the ball and trying to get across the line of scrimmage with his legs 
Um, so you've got to establish some amount of run game. Uh, but what they do is they keep you off balance. They bring pressure from a lot of different areas, whether it be safeties or corners or backers. Um, they've got some fact totems over there, which they can put on the line of scrimmage or put them in uh, the box or outside of the box. They like to bring four and five man pressure from a lot of very fronts um, to keep you honest. And so we've got to change things up as much as they change things up. And at the end of the day, you got to trust your technique. You got to trust your teachings and, uh, and you got to be fundamentally sound, but they've, uh, like you said, mitigated a lot of big plays, but a lot of that has to do with, the the non-allowance to the quarterback to us sit back there, pat the ball, make his reads, or get to a second or third read. If the first read you can't get to because the time is up, um, that's a pretty good pretty good situation for any defense, uh, but especially a defense that flies around harder and more than any defense I've ever seen sideline to sideline. They are relentless with their effort, and that is a testament to their defensive coaches, uh, but ultim- ultimately Coach Houck. Well, Coach, let's talk about the other side of the ball, the matchup that, that uh, seems to be not getting as much play, but I think is going to be uh, equally, if not uh, even more fascinating to watch. Montana, when they have the football versus your defense, uh, what have you thought of your defensive performance thus far, and what do you see out of Montana's offense thus far? Well, I think I think you, you, you've watched just as, as we've watched. We just get the, the bird or the sideline view as opposed to the bird's eye view. Our defense has been stout at times, and uh, we, we, but we've also been inconsistent at times. As Montana will establish a run. They're going to get in 11, 12, and 13 personnel. They're going to establish a run, and they're going to continue to establish a run and then reestablish the run. So I would, I would imagine Coach Rosebach, Coach Howe, they will lean on the run game, much like they did in 19 when we were there in the first half, because I think that was Cam's first start, if I remember right, um, with uh, the quarterback being out that week, and they sat in 13-22 and 22 personnel for a better part of the first half. Uh, we, we've got to be able to, again, be productive on first down. Uh, they have a big front. They're kind of back to their, their days up front with the offensive lineman being, you know, 6'5", 6'6", and 300-plus pounds. They're going to lean on you. Uh, the quarterback's not going to be a run threat all the time, but he'll be enough to where they'll be able to boot him. They'll use the tight ends in the play-action pass. And again, the better off you run, the more the play-action pass opens because safeties start getting closer to the line of scrimmage. Backers getting a little bit more uh, weight on their toes. And so we've, we've got to do a good job with the run. But most importantly, Coulter, we have to tackle. No matter where it is on the football field, we have got to tackle. We've been in two weeks ago, we were very inconsistent tackling against Western Illinois, especially in that last 30 minutes. And then last week, we got we improved a bit, but we've got to improve on what we did last week on the road in Cedar City. So um, you're right. This could be, again, special teams and probably uh, Montana's offense versus uh, the uh, Eastern defense is probably two things not talked about enough that need some pub because that, uh, that may be uh, the tipping point in the game at some point, whether it's early, middle, or late in the game. Across the sidelines, presented by Mike Nugent, Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate, Aaron Best joining us. Coach, just a couple more things I want to ask you outside of the football game about the spotlight that is now on your program, your athletic department, your university. You're an Eastern Washington alum. I know you take a great deal of pride in coaching at your alma mater. Uh, But ESPN2, under the lights, at the Inferno, doesn't get much better than that. What do you think of your opportunity for exposure on Saturday night with the Grizz coming to town? Well, I mean, from a university standpoint, from a city standpoint, from an administrative standpoint, it's 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 awesome with with, with all caps. Um, the players, the sports staff, and the coaches have done a great job to put themselves in this position. 
Um, you don't get here without a ton of hard work, without a ton of belief, without a little bit of luck. But most importantly, taking a taking taking the right uh, approach to opportunities that, that we faced. And so, uh, for us to, to to be able to show the world, really not the nation, but the world. Uh, you know, Cheney, Washington, and uh, Ruse Field on the Inferno. Uh, you, you don't you don't get that every day. So this is this is a hard earned opportunity against a great opponent in Montana. It shouldn't happen any other way. Um, we we love the fact that we're on it, but to, to be able to share in the competitive nature on Saturday night seven thirty against Montana, uh, it, it 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 just it fell into place at the right time. Um, against it with two really good teams and so uh a lot of credit again goes to to my mentors coach baldwin coach wolf and coach kramer for for getting us to this point and and let's be honest the competitors want to compete day in and day out year in and year out and uh for 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 us to look back and know that where the program has been and what we continue to want to do it's not easy it's not easy but but nothing that you is worthwhile or that you're really going to relish in is easy so um that's what good programs do and, and there's two good programs going at it uh at 7 30 you know on the west coast time hopefully the east coast uh people stay up late to watch uh fcs football at its best on saturday well, they say Pac-12 after dark. This is going to be Big Sky after dark, and I can't wait. We're making the trip over to Cheney, bringing the whole ESPN and Skyline Sports crew. It's going to be an awesome evening. Can't wait to be there. Coach, thanks for spending so much time. Always a great pleasure to talk to you, and best of luck this weekend. No doubt. Thank you. Safe travels, Coulter. Appreciate it. Welcome back in. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Also probably play a little bit of this on my daily radio show on ESPN Missoula, as well as uh, SWX Montana Television around the great state of Montana. Joined now by Ian Shoemaker. He is the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Eastern Washington. Coach, thanks so much for taking a minute. How are you? I'm doing well. Just uh, looking forward to a uh, you know, great weekend coming up. Well, first and foremost, I got to tell you a story. I was uh, walking out of Bobcat Stadium uh, a couple weekends ago. Montana State had been taking on San Diego. The Grizz had a bye that week. And I was walking with Montana State's athletic director, Leon Costello. And uh, he got an alert on his phone, and it was an ESPN alert that said, Eastern Washington quarterback Eric Berrier sets all-time record with 487 yards and six touchdown passes in the first half. We did a triple take looking at this, thinking, is this a mistake? But uh, that's to, just to lead us into the fact that Eric Berry has been playing at an unbelievable level, uh, even maybe exceeding expectations, and he had high ones coming into his final season at Eastern Washington. So I know this is your first year coaching him. What have you thought of your quarterback and his performance so far? Well, I have been here since 19, so I had, had him at 19. I had him in the spring season, and, and now here it's uh, you know kind of that third season, which is kind of weird with the COVID timing and, and that weird spring last year. But, uh, no, it's, it's been uh, off the charts. You know, the, the kid is uh, amazing. Uh, you know, just when you think he can't do, uh, you know, anything more, he shows up and does it again. You know, to back up the game, uh, you know, at Western Illinois, he came out and threw for another 500 this weekend, uh, you know, against uh, Southern Utah. And, uh, you know, again, a couple of back-to-back road games, finding a way to win on the road. It's, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, like I said, it's uh, from athletic skills to, you know, off schedule to also just kind of within the playbook, finding the right guy and and operating at a high level. I remember when he first got recruited, Coach Baldwin told me, 
This guy's got as much juice as anybody that we've had here. And I, I was saying a lot considering Vernon Adams has about, about as much juice as anybody that's ever played in the FCS. But Barry, he has lived up to that all the way. But just from a skill set perspective, what do you think makes him special? Why is he so dynamic and so good? Well, I think obviously, you know, the athletic skill set is is pretty amazing. The kid that can, you know, run as fast as he does, change direction, accelerate, and play with the power that he does. You know, he breaks tackles. I think that, you know, in the backfield and, and you know, that first rusher and things like that, he's able to kind of, you know, find a way to get away and, and, and get his eyes back downfield and find throws down the field. And then he just brings a, a real strong arm to the deal that, you know, is, has become more and more, uh, you know, compact and more and more. Uh, accurate as uh, as he's gone through his career and I think that's where you know maybe he's making uh, the biggest strides is just living within the playbook and and being compact and and making the play that's uh, you know easy and open uh, because we all know that once he's off schedule he's as dangerous as anybody in the country that's what's so striking is his ability to keep plays alive and then when he does his ability to stop on a dime and make these throws. I mean, he had a couple throws in that UNLV game where you thought he was absolutely dead to rights, sacked or something. He would have to throw it out of bounds or something, but then he just throws an absolute dime. I mean, that seems like it's just an innate ability. It might not even be something you could coach or teach or anything like that, right? Oh, no, we do those drills every day. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it, is, it is an innate ability. He, uh, you know, he does have that feel. Uh, you know, he does have that, uh, you know, that, that in-game feel and, and understanding of kind of space and where he's at and what he can do. And, and like I said, he feels very confident that, you know, a lot of times he can make a guy miss and, and find somebody down the field. And I think that's where, you know, continuing to improve is now instead of just running and, and using his legs and taking off, uh, he is still finding some of those throws down the field and getting back on schedule after leaving the pocket. You know, and I think that is, uh, you know, one of those things from a maturity standpoint that is exciting to see him kind of mature through some of those decision making, uh, you know, opportunities. My brother and I, Brooks Nuanez, uh, we talk a lot on this podcast. Uh, and as we talk about on my ESPN radio show, too, about how oftentimes, Sports, particularly high school and college sports, are not as linear as people want to believe. In other words, the notion that everybody is always getting better all the time and that you're just going to have this amazing peak when you're a senior or a fifth-year senior in college football standards, it doesn't always happen. A lot of times teams adjust the way that they defend you or a lot of times expectations weigh heavily. But this guy seems like even as outstanding as he was when he led Eastern Washington to the national championship game his first year as a starter – He's continued to get better. So what have you thought of his ability to handle expectations, endure expectations, and have the spotlight on him like he has? Well, I think he's you know, a super-driven kid. And, you know, he wants to be – the best he wants to help us win and I think you know that 18 season where he came in you know as a part-time starter at the end of the year and and kind of took over the job and took him to the you know the championship game I think that started him on this kind of feat of like you know I, I want to get back there I want to find a way to improve the team and help the team and and get to a, another opportunity like that and I think that's uh you know what's the most impressive is just you know he's been able to do that physically in the weight room training to also just understanding the playbook more and, and getting more comfortable and leading better and all those things. So I think that's what, uh, you know, drives him is that, 
you know, first opportunity, I think. And, you know, you look back to his, you know, making a play in this high school championship game, same thing. You know, he, he's driven to win first and foremost. And whatever that looks like, uh, he's willing to uh, do it for us. I don't know him well, but I have interviewed him so many times because he's had such an outstanding career. But he, he seems like such a soft-spoken guy, but then he seems like he turns into this, this this dog when he's on the field. I mean, do you see that in him just from a, a personal standpoint? There's no question. He is, you know, a little bit quiet, a little bit introverted. Uh, you know, everybody loves him. He's a multi-year captain. I mean, he's the guy around here. I mean, he's he's the guy that everybody looks to from a leadership standpoint, but he's not going to yell. He's not going to scream. He's not going to get out of control or, or challenge anybody, you know, uh, you know, in a big group or, or meeting set, you know, setting. That's just not his personality. He might pull you to the side. He might, uh, you know, try to get you going, but, you know, his, his demeanor, does change on game day you see it in the morning you know the focus and the intention comes up and he's ready to roll and you know like, oh, just stay out of his way until this thing's over Ian Shoemaker joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Big Sky Breakdown presented by Blackfoot Communications as well as Alpine Touch. Thanks to our great sponsors for making all of our podcast dreams come true. We got all sorts of podcasts rolling right now and if you haven't heard Pretty big game and on Saturday night in Cheney, Washington. Eastern is hosting Montana, a pair of top six teams in the league, a pair of the favorites in the Big Sky Conference. So, Coach, let's talk about this game a little bit. What do you think of the matchup with the Grizzlies? They run a pretty, uh, pretty unorthodox and pretty high-pressure defense. So what's your take so far as you study Montana? Well, obviously they're doing a great job. You know, I mean, we got some of uh, the UW game, and obviously winning that, uh, you know, FBS opponent and and shutting those guys down the way they did was very impressive. You know, we played them in '19 uh, there in in, in Missoula and and had a tough time, uh, you know, getting yards and, and scoring points and things like that. So we have a lot of respect for you know what they do on defense, and you know, it is uh, it can be you know unnerving and and, and difficult uh, from a standpoint uh, but you know that's the that's the beauty you know playing a, a big sky top of the line big sky game you know on ESPN2 this weekend is uh, you know exciting for us it's the it's the type of game that we're uh, you know in this for Eastern Washington has had such phenomenal offensive tradition. I mean, honestly, all the way back to the late 90s when Mike Kramer was there, uh, but particularly Paul Wolf, Bo Baldwin, the great offensive minds have gone through there. Troy Taylor even made a stop there for a minute as well. Uh, but it seems like the Eastern offensive identity has um, evolved, certainly, but maintained a lot of its uh, key elements of success. So how does that work with you? I mean, how, how have you been able to fit in a lot of the things that have been successful in the past, but also put your own stamp on things here these last couple years as well. Well, I think that was the biggest challenge in 19 coming in, uh, you know, just understanding the tradition. They had just, you know, gone to a national championship game and, you know, trying to, you know, put my, you know, put my mark on it, my identity on it, but also absorb, you know, guys like Zach Hill and Bodie Reeder and, you know, Troy Taylor and Bo Baldwin and all the guys that had come before, all these great offensive minds. You know, like I said, I, I don't think we have one offensive system. We have like five, 
really good football, uh, you know, playbooks that are kind of combined over the years and, you know, makes it, uh, makes us very diverse, makes us very difficult to defend, but also is a little bit of a, you know, a task to put your own identity into it. And, you know, that's been uh, my challenge is just to try to add value. You know, when I came in, that's all I tried to do. I tried to add value from, you know, a uh, coordinating standpoint, a quarterback coach standpoint, just try to improve or organize it or just just get out of the way when it was time to get out of the way. And, you know, the identity here, you know, will be what it is. You know, offensive football here is, uh, you know, is, is very important. And, you know, playing quarterback at Eastern matters. And, you know, it, it's going to continue to matter in the future under, you know, as long as I'm able to uh, stay in the seat. When it comes to this matchup against the Grizzlies, I was talking to Bo Baldwin about this after Cal Poly played in Missoula last week. And conventional wisdom, you know, Football, let's call it 303, not 101, but like medium level football knowledge would, would indicate that when a team runs as much pressure, they have as much fire zone type blitzes and, and uh, they bring pressure from as many different angles and areas as Montana does, that would leave them vulnerable uh, to certain things against those blitzes, particularly like screen passes. But, but Cal Poly, they couldn't get any, anything done even on those. So what about Montana's defense makes it different? It seems like it is a high risk, but also not very big play type defense. Why? How is Montana able to mitigate big plays even though they do send so many different pressures from so many different angles? Well, I think when you look at the total number of bodies coming to the pressure, though, a lot of times it is still fully developed zones, meaning that they have still seven, six guys playing zone behind those blitzes. A lot of times they're dropping defensive linemen out. A lot of times it's the DNs, you know, with a bluff or a show where they're walking a guy up and dropping him out and bringing somebody else. So the total number of blitzers on a lot of their pressures are are not as maybe as 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 many as you think, uh, they just do it through a bunch of different ways and get a bunch of different guys uh, to the to the quarterback. But you know now you're going to have some guys dropping out. You, I mean, you saw the pick six for a touchdown from uh, one of their D tackles. Uh, you know, in the game against uh, Cal Poly. You know, and so you know those are things that I think they do a really good job of is just disguising how many guys. It looks like six or seven guys are always coming. But there's not. There's usually four or five guys coming, and now they still have the opportunity to develop zones and man coverages and keep everybody still kind of uh, you know covered down or, or on top of them from a coverage standpoint. And then those guys that are dropping out are the ones that make it difficult on the screen game for sure. I've been making a habit of counting the amount of fronts that Montana runs. I think I've counted 11 different fronts that they've run, uh, both against Washington and Cal Poly. Uh, so how essential, though, is pre-snap communication, both from your offensive linemen and your quarterbacks, when it comes to just what Montana does pre-snap defensively? Well, yeah, it's it's going to be very important for us to communicate, uh, you know, where our combinations are going to go in the run game, how we're going to deal with the protections. All those things are going to be paramount. Uh, and, again, it's, uh, it's a lot nicer playing at home as far as that communication than uh, playing there in Missoula. No question. He's Ian Shoemaker. He's the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach for Eastern Washington University. They host the Montana Grizzlies Saturday night under the lights in Cheney on ESPN2. Coach, we appreciate you taking a minute. Thanks so much for catching up with us, and best of luck on Saturday. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity.
At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, Fiber Deployments, and Community Events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com slash news. Well, happy now for our ESPN Roundtable. We do this each Wednesday during the 5 o'clock hour. And our guest this week, bringing his team to Bozeman, Montana for a Saturday showdown against the Montana State Bobcats. It's Ed McCaffrey, the head coach for Northern Colorado. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. First and foremost, let's talk about this last couple weeks and I guess this last couple months. You took the job at Northern Colorado, but it's been a long wait since you actually got to compete in actual football games because Northern Colorado, one of the five teams in the Big Sky Conference that did not compete during the spring season. So now that you've got a couple games under your belt, Northern Colorado 2-2, two and two, off to a decent start here. What have you thought of just actually being a head coach at the collegiate level? Um, I absolutely love coaching. It's my favorite thing to do. So I'm having a blast. Um, you know, obviously dealing with adversities that none of us thought we'd be dealing with, with COVID. And even though I'd like to turn the page on the pandemic, it's still around. And it's been my number one biggest challenge and the biggest challenge for our program, you know, missing in players and missing players and coaches during the season. You know, I almost equate it to like if 25% of your team got hurt at the same time, um, they're unavailable uh, to play in the games and unavailable to participate on scouts team so those are the sort of things that have been challenging but what's been a blessing is the attitude of our players it's a next man up mentality and these guys love football and they're fine young men I really think they're they're young men who are going to do wonderful things way beyond football when they leave here and they're fun group to coach you mentioned that you love coaching. At what point did you realize that? Because you had such an outstanding playing career, and a lot of times guys that play at such a high level have a hard time getting into coaching or have no interest in it. At what point did you realize that you loved coaching? Um, I think right away. I mean, when I retired from the NFL, I considered coaching at a higher level, but played 13 years, was a dad to four boys, and they just happened to start playing right around when I retired. So I thought, hey, I'd coach Little League and have fun coaching my sons and be around them. I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to do it at the time. I wanted to be around my family after having played a long time. And I don't regret it. Those are some of the most fun and fulfilling years of my life, um, coaching them in Little League. And then they got older, right? And then they go to high school. And so then I kind of followed them, jumped up to high school and coached at that level and liked to be around them and their friends and other great coaches that were fun to be around and enjoyed it. And then, uh, you know, then they went to college and Lisa and I were empty nesters. And so that's when I decided to maybe step it up a notch and coach at the collegiate level and um, having a lot of fun. My boys were the first ones to call me and congratulate me and were so excited that I took the job because they knew, uh, they know how much I love football, but they also knew there'd be a little bit of a sacrifice. I don't get to every Panthers game. I don't get to every Rice Owls game uh, to watch my youngest son. And, um, and Lisa and I aren't always together on the weekend, which is kind of a habit we got into when we had four boys all playing at the same time. But as fate would have it, you know, I have a son, our oldest son, Max, is coaching with us and doing a great job with our offense. And Dylan decided to play here, which was not the plan when I took the job, but I'm certainly happy it worked out that way. You mentioned the fact that one son is the offensive coordinator, one son is the quarterback. Is there any sibling rivalry or how does that dynamic work? 
You know, you learn as a parent, I'm sure any parent will tell you who's coached their son or daughter, um, it can be the greatest blessing in the world or it can end tragically if it's not handled the right <laughs> yep. way. And I, I learned early on that it's, it's sometimes harder for, you know, a son or daughter to receive information from a parent. It's easier from a sibling. And uh, that's kind of the way it's worked out here. Max and Dylan are brothers. They're great friends. And uh, Max is an incredible coach. He coaches everyone on our team, obviously. But those two get along and speak the same language. So it's been better than I even anticipated. And as a head coach, you know, I learned a long time ago to coach through other coaches. We have a great quarterback coach, J.J. Rattering. And he does a phenomenal job coaching all of our quarterbacks. And when I when I need to coach, I'll coach through them. Um, I won't do it directly. I think that information is easier, easier to receive that way. Ed McCaffrey joining us. He's the head coach of Northern Colorado. Northern Colorado plays at Montana State on Saturday afternoon. Big Big Sky Conference showdown there in Bozeman. And Coach, you mentioned the culture of a program. I think that that's a word that's used a lot in college football and in football in general, but maybe an elusive dynamic uh, for some, but an important one for all. But there's also probably a distinctly different element of what culture might mean at different levels of football. So from your experience in the NFL, but then now as a college coach, after being a high school coach, what are the differences? What does it take to go about building culture, specifically at the FCS collegiate level? And maybe how is that different from what you experienced with the Broncos or what you experienced at Valor Krishner throughout your football life? Well, you know, we talk, talk a lot about football being fun. Um, for me, it's really more a fulfillment. Are, are you feeling fulfilled by playing this sport? Do you have the respect of your teammates and your coaches? Um, you know, I look at teams that are a hardworking group of players who share that self-sacrifice and play together as one and love what they're doing. And that shows on the football field. Uh, you can tell the teams that are organized and disciplined and unselfish that give you everything they have. Forget the scoreboard, right? I mean, is it a type of team that loves what they're doing and gives you everything they have and plays up to their full potential and leaves the field with no regrets? So those are the types of teams I like to be a part of, teams that hold each other accountable and have high expectations for themselves. And the best teams are player-led. I think of good culture usually means that the players um, hold, hold themselves accountable and have high expectations for themselves and make the coach's job a lot easier. I feel like we have that here at UNC. Is that something that's been cultivated since you arrived? Or what was the culture like when you first got there? And what, is there anything that you guys have tried to change? Or what have you thought of just the way that it's grown and evolved? I, I'm really pleased with how uh, our team has grown together and evolved. Um, you know, it, it was obviously difficult. I took over during a COVID pandemic. There's been huge turnover on the roster. I mean, a transition is always probably pretty difficult when you go from one coach to, to another. And so between new players on the team and portal players joining the team and the players that were here already and navigating a global pandemic, it certainly wasn't easy. And I thought that was the, probably what hurt us the most. Again, the, you know, the, the pandemic has been the number one challenge for me and for our program because we were kicked off campus three different times. You can't do team building activities, which are important, I think, for a program when nobody's allowed to be on campus. And that continued into this year to some extent. And uh, even now we're missing players going into games. And so with all these COVID restrictions and protocols, it makes it harder to be physically present. Even now we have some players that aren't allowed indoors in meetings. And I just never anticipated having to deal with that. That's been the biggest challenge, but on the field and when we are together, I think it's a great group of players that respect each other and have high expectations and, and hold each other accountable. And that's happy. That's makes me happy. 
ESPN Roundtable presented by Paradise Falls in Missoula. Ed McCaffrey joining us here on Nuanez Now. It's ESPN Radio as well as statewide television, SWX Montana Television. Ed is the head coach for the Northern Colorado Bears. They head to Bozeman to take on Montana State on Saturday afternoon. And coach, let's talk about your team so far this year. Two and two wins over Houston Baptist and then last week in overtime over a Northern Arizona team that was coming off of their first win in Tucson over the Arizona Wildcats in almost 100 years. So a good victory last week to get Big Sky Conference play started. 1-0. What have you out of your team's performance thus far as you guys head to Bozeman? Um, I still think we are improving as a football team. And, you know, some of that might be because we didn't have a spring season. We didn't have a fall season. We've been off campus for the majority of the last two years. So it's probably to be expected. We're still trying to put together our best football game. It hasn't been done yet. Certainly would be great timing for that to happen this week. But the thing we did accomplish was we found a way to win a close football game against a good team. Uh, The week before, we came up a couple plays short. This past week, we found a way to turn the corner, and we're hoping to build off that momentum. When you take a look at Montana State, one of the most talented teams in the league, a team that has several of the best players or among the best players at their given positions, particularly when you look at the offensive and defensive fronts and also then in the backfield with Isaiah Fonse as well. When you first look at Montana State, what stands out to you on film? Well, there's no weak links. I mean, a lot of times you look to find an area to exploit offensively, defensively, or in special teams, and these guys don't have one. <laughs> you, you, you were right. They, they have some of the best players in the whole conference at every position. So, you know, we're going to have to do our best to win those one-on-one battles, all, you know, all 11 of them. And, and against a good football team, uh, you can't have self-inflicted wounds. I mean, you need to play your best football. They're going to win some battles. We're going to win some battles. But just, you know, we're going have to earn everything that we get they're not going to give us anything for free and they're going to be prepared they're going to play hard any particular individuals or or position groups defensively that stand out for montana state yeah again i wish i could pick one that was better than the other they obviously have a couple of studs that are well known but i'm I'm not finding a a weak link on their roster Um, they're well coached and they do what they do extremely well I know you're only one game in to the Big Sky Conference portion of your schedule, um, but I guess first start with last week's victory. What did it take for you guys to pull that out? Because it seemed like a hard-fought defensive game. You guys are not giving up very many points, less than 20 points a game, which is an outstanding mark so far here in, in, in this day and age of college football. What did it take for you guys to take down an NAU team that was coming off a Pac-12 victory? Again, I think our guys just played together. There's great communication out there. Uh, we fly around uh, with a lot of speed and uh, self-sacrifice. Guys aren't selfish or greedy. They know their assignments. Uh, you know, defense is about alignment, assignment, and technique, communicating, and doing your job. And we got guys that will, will do that for us. And we take a look at Montana State's offense. Isaiah Fonse last week, 30 carries, 217 yards, an impressive performance in both durability and uh, fortitude. So uh, it starts with the run game at Montana State. It has for a handful of years now. But what sort of things do you see offensively out of the Bobcats? Uh, they're, they're they're big and strong, and they do, again, they do what they do really well. I mean, 200 yards is a lot for anybody at any level on the ground. That's pretty impressive. And, you know, when a, when a running back, as a father to a running back, uh, you know, trust me, when the running back is having that kind of success, there's going to be a few plays where they, they made something out of nothing, and then there's also a lot of plays where the O-line got the job done up front. You know, you can't can't rush for 200 yards without the O-line doing their job, receivers blocking down the field. So they take it seriously, and, and they're very good at a lot of things, but certainly in the run game. 
As you prepare to make the trip to Bozeman, what do you think of just the logistical challenges? Because uh, obviously it's easy to get to Bozeman now because it's growing so much, direct flights, all that stuff. But what do you think of just the venue you'll play in the atmosphere? And just from a broad perspective, not Bozeman aside, what's it like as a head coach preparing yourself to go to a place that you've never coached before? That's pretty much the case with every game I'm coaching this season. Right. So it hasn't changed. You know, I spent my life in the NFL and at the Division One level, never been at the FCS level. It's a different world. Uh, there's great coaches at this level, and the talent's way, way better than what I anticipated. And so it's, it'll be a challenge this week. But I've never been there. I'm sure it'll, I've heard great things about the crowd and the fans in the stadium, and I'm sure it'll be a fun football environment. Ed McCaffrey joining us here on Nuanas Now, ESPN Roundtable. He leads Northern Colorado to Bozeman to take on Montana. State on Saturday. And coach, we'll get you out of here on this. What are the keys to the game? What matchups uh, intrigue you the most in terms of your team versus Montana State? And what do you think will be the key elements if you guys are going to go on the road and get a victory? Uh, again, I just think we need we need to do what we've practiced all week well in this game. We can't leave plays on the field. We need to be more concerned about our assignments and just making sure that we uh, we execute full speed on every play and uh, don't give them anything. They're too good of a team. Too good of a team uh, to leave plays that we should have made out on the field. Too good of a team if we have a lot of penalty yards. Too good of a team if we have MAs. So those are still the things we're looking to clean up, and I think we need to do that first. Um, and things hopefully will work out. And, you know, if we do that, we certainly will have a chance to compete. Well, Coach, I know it's a busy time of year. We appreciate you taking the time today. Best of luck in Bozeman on Saturday, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. But thank you so much for being with us here on ESPN. Thank you, Coulter.